Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about the season finale for season two. Uh, season two, episode 10, titled I Live Here Now. Uh, I think I just watched and witnessed what might be the finest season of television I've ever seen. You're not wrong. Like, okay, good. I've always said when we've had this thing, like, well, you know, man, I really love season three and four of The Wire, like, as a unit. Like, I, those are like. <sighs> and my... I've been like, season four of Breaking Bad. Sure. Best of all time. Like, and, you know, The Wire still has the it's important thing to hang its hat on. But, uh-huh. yeah, I and I get it. This is this is recency bias. This is the sports announcer saying that's the greatest comeback <laughs> we've ever seen. Yeah. But, damn, I I've never had such a like since the last season of, far, of uh, The Leftovers. Have I had this kind of catharsis in watching television and really felt like I went on an almost spiritual journey? Hmm. Okay. Even more so, like it's. I mean, this season was already twice as good as last season of The Leftovers, and I thought last season was crazy good. It was my, uh, you know, is in my top three, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's certainly the most jaw dropping thing I've seen since like the season one of True Detective, which I was really fond of. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing that they they really did here that I felt pushed it over the top is double down on the things that worked in the first season. Yes, and kind of withdrew from the things that didn't work. So plus, well. all the chances they took. That's true, and that's like yeah. reading. Like I read a ton of, like you, I read a ton of reviews and and uh, retrospectives because yeah. uh, Dame, Damon Lindelof feels like he is going all out. He wants to save this show, and he's trying to give it as much press as possible. Plus, I think he likes mm-hmm. to talk. Um, what what good creative type doesn't like to sure, talk? Uh, talk about their work. <laughs> um, but I just came away of just how impressed I was that they went for these big chances and didn't know that they were going to work. Like, are people going to laugh us out of the building when we get to the hotel episode? <laughs> International assassin. Yeah. Are they going to see the twist coming with Evie and her three, her two friends? Uh, are they going to continue to be patient with these single point of views when they want to get back to the main characters? Are they going to, yeah. you know, moving away from Mapleton? And we talked about how much the kind of the dreary cold landscape in upstate New York, added to that kind of season and go to Texas mm-hmm. and every one of their experiments paid off. Certainly for me. And I, I can still understand why people might not like sure. this show. Sure. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but no. man, for me, this season just clicked on every level. And, uh, the leftovers wins the week. Come, come on, man. <laughs> like I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not going to talk about this in Fargo because it's kind of uh, I've seen Fargo and yeah. it's going to be a bummer of a podcast for me unless Ooh. my subsequent viewings really change my opinion. But, you know, there is a show that I think takes a lot of big creative risks and most of the time pays off. But every, every season so far on Fargo, there's been one that just <sighs> it jerks me right back at reminds me you are watching a television show <laughs> and the leftovers, man, the leftovers. And the, the fact that they did the single POV every episode until the last two yeah. was so brilliant because by the time they changed the format, we were ready for it. Mm-hmm. Like everything was primed to just go off and play on each other. Everything that they had set up was just ready to play. And we talked about how eh, it's kind of disappointing last week, how there was a little bit of kind of leading the characters by the jaws to get them to where they needed to be. But I forgive all of that. Yeah. I mean, the way – so it it's totally warranted that they break from this POV, uh, this tightly focused POV thing to do kind of more, more ensemble things and more like um, – 
bigger things because the thematic point of this season is going to be bringing together these families here in Jarden, right? Yeah. And to say, okay, now we're showing you the family perspective, the family POV. I think that works so well. And it's such a great, it's such a great inversion of the season of uh, premiere. Uh, Oh, the Axis Monday cave woman losing her family versus Kevin coming home from the earthquake, gaining his family. It's such a great counterpart to, last season and and that's the thing like i said i think like man what's the odds they can do the same thing of last season where they can fully wrap up things i felt like this could be a season (laughs) finale this could be a series finale certainly and i don't feel like yes there's some questions i want some answers to but they're more like i could have fun endlessly debating these things for years to come i don't need more i want more but yeah once again like John, right, and his relationship with sure. Virgil. What exactly went on there? Well, we don't know, but honestly, and, it doesn't matter. And also, what happens between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. with the girls getting to the swimming hole? Like, that's the biggest problem, I think, in this episode. And if, yeah, which we're, I'm going to so talk. I'm going to talk a lot about. I, but. I didn't notice the timing on that because I have a huge problem with the timeline. If it's just like they drove straight there, I don't think that's. You know, and that, it and can't be. That's their. Yeah, I don't want to spoil the conversation okay. we're going to have. And yeah, I've, yeah. I've just got derailed. I can't remember what I was thinking about. Uh, but no, it's a it's a great. I, I cannot believe that they did what they did in the first season even more successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just feel so satisfied and so gratified as a fan. And these interviews with Lindelof and Perota and Reza Aslan. Oh hell yeah! Have just deepened my appreciation for how much. Again, it feels so good to have a crew of people giving a shit about the show as much as I do as a fan. Yeah. And I talked, you know, briefly about that on the walking dead cast and how I've I've read all these interviews and I came away thinking, you know what? These people really think about not only what they want to do in the show, but how to best do it. You know, like, yeah, we want to have these characters do these specific things, but if we unveil them in a way that isn't emotional and isn't dramatic they're useless and also how much they do addition by subtraction like there's a long sequence where Sepinwall, i believe was talking to lindelof and he said in the hotel we had a whole bunch of ideas for these vignettes that kevin could go by and they're like what the fuck is going on but Mm -hmm. like we don't want this to be what the fuck just for what the fuck's sake yeah like every single thing in there is going is it means something Mm-hmm. And will pay off. So it makes you think like, you know, um, the the one thing that I kind of scratching my head about at this point is the lady speaking Spanish trying to get the heart in the right place. Will that pay off with the fact that Mary was there getting <laughs> will that stuff pay off? Um, so real before we move away from these Lindelof interviews, there is mm-hmm. a downside or a potential worry. And obviously, I just declared this the greatest episode, the greatest series of television I think I've ever seen. So you know, calibrate your <laughs> scales for criticism accordingly. Okay. Lindelof, uh, you know, refused to speculate on supernatural versus natural things as he's wont to do. Mm-hmm. But he did say that the writers writing team was very careful to research and they intended all, all these things or Kevin shot Kevin returned the dead to still be ambiguous. Like contrasting Erica's statement that it was medically un- impossible for that bird to survive 30 hours buried the way it was to presumably it is medically possible for Kevin to survive the particular place he was shot. Okay. Yeah. It is possible for someone that's taking this whatever poison they had in mind 
to be underground buried for eight hours in loosely packed soil without dying. Yeah. Does that bother you? Because I feel like 90 99% of the people came away from this episode saying, by God, supernatural shit, aside from, of course, the departure, um, is is a foregone conclusion. I'm Kevin one of those is people, Jesus yeah. Christ. Kevin is a prophet. I, yeah, well, I don't, I don't know that I go that far even um, about who in particular Kevin is or what his role in this all is. Yeah, and I feel like I'm strangely liberated. Like, I don't need to take a dog in that fight. Like, it will either okay. be fully revealed in the fullness of time or whatever. Like, it, at some point, I'm bothered, though, that there is, a, there is a shelf life for how long they can keep treading this line and saying, well, maybe it's supernatural, maybe it's not, because okay. eventually... The coincidences mount up, but then I keep thinking about when I really read the subtext of these interviews that these guys want to talk about religion. And there's this interesting quote uh, where I, I can't remember if it's Perota or uh, Lindelof said it, but he said, you know, if you look at nativity scenes or passion scenes from like the middle ages where they have like Jesus as an apostles, they're all wearing like contemporary clothing. Okay. You know, like when people imagine Jesus, it was like, you know, they didn't think about, Oh, well, you know, they dressed in different garb and they had different climate. It's like, you know, these people in in England were in France and were painting them in medieval clothes because it was this personal sure. kind of reimagining and the kind of the leftovers is a little bit of a modern meditation on religion. How did religions form? And that's one of the reasons they and brought I think Reza, that's key. Yeah, it's one of the reasons they brought Reza Aslan on board to be like, "You're a scholar that studied mm -hmm. how religions formed. We are playing with these nouveau religions. How would the internal politics works? How would they struggle? And that's why it feels so kind of realistic and fluid because they've got yeah. this guy who studied this and has got the credentials weighing in on it." And so all, I've all talked that... both sides there. Like I don't if if it, I'm in. It's so weird to have you say that you're on board completely with the supernatural at this point. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I you. I, yeah, I I tend to, you know, look for the realism in stuff. And so when I'm presented with a fictional universe, the first thing I'm looking for is how does this relate to me? Where where am I at in this place? And over the course of two seasons, I've been consistently told, stop thinking about that, I guess, yep. and think more about, like you said, the how how the people are reacting to this, what would be their first instinct, um, how people deal in general with death. Like, that's the thing I think is so interesting about the religion angles is that they're all based on human experiences, right? Like, whatever you yes. think of religion, if it's if it's true, if it's false, whatever— People believe those things because of the experiences they have in their lives. And, yes. and so after this crazy experience of the sudden departure, you've got to imagine all of these things would be happening. And, and what they mean for the people involved is the most interesting part of it. And so, like, yeah, I've come over to the side where I think this is probably like supernatural occurrences going on. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that it matters all that much. Well, I think it's interesting that in the concept of meditation religion because I, I, I found myself as I was thinking yesterday – I was pondering this on Monday morning. Uh, man, okay, so what Lindelof is saying is that it's possible that Kevin could survive this gunshot and not die. It's possible for him to drink this poison and be buried for eight hours and not die. It's possible for this coincidence of this earthquake to happen at the exact point that he throws himself in in this uh, this river. 
But all those things, like, okay, as you layer the possible, it's like flipping the coin. Like, okay, it's possible to flip two heads. It's possible to five. It's possible to 25. It's possible to 100, but it gets less and less likely. But then I yeah. start thinking in terms of, like, how life got here on Earth. Sure. And the fact that we don't fully understand all the mechanisms of how, like, life originated, like the, the, the theory of uh, abiogenesis and like, uh-huh. receded from space and the kind of, like uh, – you know, I, I went back to my fundamentalist teachings, and one of the things they like to do to disprove evolution is to ask you to consider just as a proposition the mind-boggling odds against intelligent life arriving on this planet. The, the problem with that argument is that no, no, I look okay. I'm not, right. I'm not sure. I'm not yep. teaching creation here. Gotcha. I'm just saying that there's a big glaring this, flaw. Try to find it. <laughs> isn't, isn't this interesting that this show is asking, and like I'm having these like real time revelations. Like uh, if I'm going to balk about mind numbing coincidences, it's perfectly possible. There's nothing in the natural law that says you can't flip a hit, a coin and have it land heads a hundred times in a row. And in sure. a universe of infinite possibilities and infinite space and not an infinite time but vast quantities mind-boggling quantities of time that something like that could happen and what if this Mm -hmm. moment in time is what's happening and this is all rational but it looks irrational kind of like i said in last season like i do believe that if some lunatic says that the earth is going to be destroyed at a particular date and that date happens to be the time (laughs) when a giant comet or meteor hits the earth 99% 99% of the, the earth that's remaining is going to be a religious. Okay. Because that's sure. just such a coincidence that we can't accept it with our – we're going to go back to the, the monkey mind. And I, mm-hmm. I love the fact that this show has got me thinking in those directions. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And, and it, having everything kind of thrown up in the air with this initial sudden departure is the catalyst for what I feel has been a very natural arc for all of these characters including the people I don't like, the GR. Um, sure. Like the, the religions that have sprung up around it that I have a natural tendency to dislike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all of those are natural reactions to something like this. But, so. And I also love it that, wow, we've got the counterpart because like Meg and Kevin showdown at the end where she's just got this, and even her and Tommy, she's got this cynical, smug, evil worldview and how glee, how much glee she's taken yeah. in shattering these people's lives. And Kevin's like, fuck this i'm going home to people that love me mm-hmm. and it's weird that like the walking dead has become a garbage show this season but some of the conversations they have have informed my enjoyment of the leftovers <laughs> and vice versa like there's this throw there's this throwaway line rosita mentions about like yes the world is meaningless so you have to find your own meaning you have to find something you care about more than yourself and that's the solution to sure. getting by and i feel like the leftovers is saying that same thing and that's something that I personally went through. I thought that life had a plan. I thought that life had someone, you know, greater than myself looking after me. Mm-hmm. I thought that I didn't have to worry about death and dying and saying goodbye to people because I'll see them again. And when that rug got pulled out from underneath me, I had to rebuild my life ethics and morality from scratch. Sure. And I'm watching these people on the show go through that same groveling in the dirt, trying to figure out how they yeah. eke a meaning out of existence and doing it. And it's, so satisfying and i wonder how much of our personal experience with religion is is kind of coloring our view of the series like is it is it really as good as we think if we didn't have this personal connection to it right well so i think that's i actually had a discussion right before we sat down i was waiting for you to do something i got on reddit and someone's like help me understand this show and i commented to them 
you might not be able to. Like, you might lack the personal mm. experience. Or, yep. like, if yep. you don't have a, if you haven't had a major tragedy that really sets you back, or you're a much healthier individual and you just deal with that with, in very healthy ways, you might not get this because. I don't think you have to have our religious experience, but I think if you've had a death oh, of a child or a death yeah. of a parent or a death of a friend or you've dealt with addiction or you've been in an abusive relationship, these are the things you need to kind of connect with this show or to be super empathetic to kind of extrapolate, you know, that, that kind of have a, uh, your heart on your sleeve to get the full impact. Yeah. And if you don't, Absolutely. if you don't, I don't know. I mean, that might be the missing link. Like, super healthy, highly actuated people might look at the show and like, this is a bunch of crazy people. Yeah. And people that haven't had a serious personal tragedy that's affected them might be like, I don't get it. Yeah. And I I mean... But fortunately, there's a lot more broken people in the world than not. So you got a few million people watching a show just completely losing their shit about it. That's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> nearly everyone is touched by something that, yes. that they can at least use as a touchstone for this show. Uh, I, I personally think I identify a lot with Kevin, um, kind of, you know, having, having this real bad experience and kind of withdrawing, right. And not, not wanting to be as connected to people like, like Patty was saying, you know, this is the thing we need to do. And I think, you know, I correctly read into how false her sense of, uh, of procedure was there, like how ridiculous it is to just kind of withdraw from everything and say, you know what, none of this has a point. So let's all just stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, here in this episode, we get Kevin doing exactly the opposite, right? Which is searching desperately, and in the end, finding his family yeah. as, as that that kind of core that he needs to to have a reason to have meaning and to go on. So, I, I think like this episode bore out how false, or at least how empty Patty's advice was. Sure, in Patty's goal last episode, or well, you know, international assassin, not last episode. Um, before we move on to other things, before we get too much, I feel like we already just jumped, you know, we're like Kevin with the cinder block. We just jumped feet first in this episode. Eh, it's going to happen. Uh, I want to have the payoff to last week. We talked about the guilty remnant meeting in the HBO offices in New York. Um, that occurred. And I think there was a few dozen people, mm-hmm. which actually people are like, oh, a few dozen people in New York city. It actually looks really cool. Like those people all in white standing the sidewalk holding up the sign (laughs) renew, Uh smoking in front of this building was a really cool image. It got picked up by Variety. There was a video on it in the New York Post. A lot of like the media is picking up on it. And, you know, if you're one of the ones that wants in the third season of The Leftovers, uh, there's this hashtag renew the leftovers on Twitter. I came out of Twitter retirement just so I could hit the hashtag. Um, It's an easy way you can do to kind of like I know there's some petitions going around. Um, I would be absolutely shocked if they don't come back. I don't need them to. Like yeah, the yeah. story doesn't require it. There are no cliffhangers, and there's just only satisfaction. But I would sure like the story to continue. From the sounds of the interviews I read with Lindelof, uh, they're talking with HBO right now, and we will know one way or another by January, like somewhere around January. Yeah. So they uh, they want to push this through and fast track it. Either way it goes, you know. Now, the finale was the highest rated episode this season. Okay. After kind of slept and then stabilizing. It's still quite a bit lower than last season, but there's a lot of reasons why that could be, you know. Yeah. Sunday Night Football, Walking Dead. The fact that this is just a – it's not – I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is not a depressing show. 
you will feel sad and depressed at points, but if you stick with it, I feel like it's an uplifting show. I think the end. But you have yeah, to go through that is. emotional journey so you can experience that. You gotta push the little you gotta push the little girl down the well yeah. so you can come home. This is not an easy show to it's watch. It's not an easy show no. to watch. But it's rewarding if you do. Yes. Yes. So all right. Uh where do we start with this freaking episode? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What did you think of the beginning? Let's start at the beginning. What did you think of... I thought it was weird how they did a very long fade into... Fade from black into the intro. Mm-hmm. Like with this this hip-hop music going. And I'm like waiting for the episode to start. Waiting for the episode to start. And they kind of show like the first two or three minutes is stuff we already saw from the first episode. But it was interesting how... Like, it really contextualizes. I remember saying that, like, the girls staring at Kevin with amused expressions on their faces. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell is Kevin? Is he just, like, a magnet for underage girl attention? Sure. He's What's going piece on? Piece of man meat. What do you want? <laughs> but now I see that as much more cynical and, like, cosmic joke. Welcome to Jarden, fuckers. You hmm. think you're going to be safe? You just spent a million dollars in this house, or three million on this house. Wait till you see what's going to happen now. Yeah, you're in a world of shit. Yeah, I suppose there's that. You just had dinner with the Murphys. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's got to. So be... I'm, I'm curious. I'm also thinking like, they're maybe they're kind of going all out one last time. Like this run through the woods still has me a little confused. Like I'm wondering, so how long this whole thing has been planned with Evie? Um, how they, how they perceived it, how the girls got into it and perceived it. Cause like, we don't really have any clue on that. No. And that's some of the open questions that I think that I have no doubt will be answered if we get a third season. Yeah. And like running through the woods is a little confusing to me. Although I think that could be just one last hurrah. Like, let's go have a great time before we give up this life. Well, also Meg is meticulous planner. I saw some theories that if in context of what we saw now that we know that they had a search party, they were using dogs. Mm -hmm. Meg might've anticipated that. And she instructed the girls to run naked around the woods to like spread their scent in a wide area to mask where they were actually going to go. (laughs) Cause obviously if the dogs just made a beeline to, uh, presumably the tunnel, uh-huh. That they you know, with the bolt cutters cut their way through that was introduced in the Matt episode, that would be a lot less mysterious. Oh, we went this tunnel. Oh, the thing's been cut. Oh, fuck us. You know, like they didn't depart. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it could be a simple tactical decision, and that might also explain. Like, I think the biggest problem. I have no idea how long a scent lasts. I don't from either. From a human being, for and a I don't dog. think it's super important other yeah. than like if that's what meg wanted them to do and also it could go a long way to explaining what happened between because from there's a timeline problem i got at least a dozen emails people saying loved yeah. the episode thought it was great but and the but is we know let's say that the murphy's family barbecue winded down somewhere between eight or nine that seems reasonable 10 at the latest okay sure uh they're going home the girls pick him up. We know that the earthquake happened around 3 o'clock in the morning. Because that's when Nora woke up, right? Where the fuck were those girls? And we know Kevin. Kevin's plausible. Kevin, you know, laid down to Nora. She went to sleep. He went to sleep. He wakes up between 11 and midnight, staggers over to Virgil's place. Yep. Gets the pep talk, finds the, and wanders over. His time, I think, is largely accounted for. What were the girls doing in those five to six hours? Do you, is it... 
it's turning into the serial podcast. <laughs> it's not, a, but the thing is, is like after reading all these interviews with Lindelof and Perota and, and and company, there's not a doubt in my mind that they know exactly where those girls are, that it is significant, and if they get another season, we'll find out about it. It's surprising that they never. No one brings it up. Like I didn't see a single interview where anybody brought that timeline stuff up to them. Hmm. Nobody, yeah. nobody even posed the question. So. That's... Like, I'm with you. I have a lot of faith in these guys now. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the whole writing staff across the board here. But I, I'm i confused to that as well. But I just, like, what, I mean, what are the odds that that's just a massive? Now, that will be the one thing I think fans endlessly debate. Yeah. And knowing Lindelof like I do, if the show doesn't get renewed, I'm assuming that we'll have to wait a couple of years maybe, but they'll start to be rumors slowly trickling out about what they meant to do or, uh-huh. uh, but that's something I could see being a debate amongst fans kind of like in the, the, uh, the Sopranos ending, like sure. what do you believe happened there. The, the other thing that gives me, you know, reason to believe that they at least have an answer is that they also did the same thing, you know, with how ambiguous they were about, whether there's supernatural stuff occurring. They talk about, Lindelof talks about how they made a decision in the writer's room. They know. Like, they have a definitive answer to that question, uh-huh. but they did purposely leave it ambiguous for the viewers yeah. because they had to write to something, right? Sure. So they were they were like, okay, we need to make this decision and let's move forward writing something that could be plausible on either side. But What'd you make of their reaction to seeing Kevin standing there looking at him? Like, what the fuck look they had? <laughs> well, I think that's like, appropriate. It's weird because I felt like the girls were all over the map except for Evie. Evie was kind of like, I guess, the Meg version of their little group. She's oh, committed she's and diehard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, like, kind of like seeing this guy who just came to Jarden a miracle killing himself, I feel like whatever worldview she has, that fit right into it. Yeah. Like, of course, yeah. this guy's going to kill himself. This is meant to be. And she probably doesn't care. The The other thing is, like... It's one last loose end. Th- that's the thing. They feel like, oh, we may have just been caught here. Yeah. If this guy doesn't jump into the water, they're... What do they do? I don't know. They're I'm guessing either, they don't have weapons. Yeah, they're going to either have to go deal with him or call the plan they're off. They're going to take off or, their clothes and run naked at him. <laughs> I don't know what Kevin would run for the That's hills, man. Saying, this shit has do? happened too many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not again. Not this Amy shit again. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's an interesting thing. But it, it seemed like they were like, "Oop, we're we're caught," and then he jumped in, and they're like, "Okay, good." What do you think of Michael's reaction to finding out that heaven looks like a hotel room, or it looks like a hotel? Uh, what was his reaction? I don't remember his reaction. Okay, that's interesting, because I was really trying to figure it out, and it was it was the it was the expression I t- interpreted it as the expression that like a little kid has when they're coming to grips with the idea that Santa Claus is really your parents putting together presents. okay, kind of like He's trying to recontextualize everything he knows. It's very interesting. He's 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 recontextualizing everything that he's thought about it with in light of this new information and vaguely disappointed too. <laughs> I can imagine if you're picturing the pearly gates or whatever, and you hear yeah. it's a hotel. Like I, Michael's very interesting because he's been per- portrayed as this kind of paragon of of Christian virtue. Mm-hmm. Yet in this episode, we find out that he's have a lot of personal demons and doubt. Yeah, and he's been lying. 
for a very long time. He's been covering up to spare his parents' feelings, and it's like, you know, it's like, man, I really want to see him and Jill's reactions, and, like, I'm I'm really interested in seeing what their relationship looks like at the end of this. Like, how much of this can Kevin share with people? Like, is next season just going to be him like, no, I'm not making it up. I came back from the dead three times. Yeah. Uh, all, all good questions. I don't know the answer. Like, I feel like we have to wait for a season three. Yeah. Because, like, the way that Nora took it, I don't think is going to be the same way that Lori or Jill are going to take it. I mean, maybe Jill. Jill seemed to take it okay when he said, you know, I tied up Patty and she killed herself. Because it's interesting, Nora... As on as uh, is on a different arc than Kevin because Nora's thing is like she in the back of her mind had this nagging doubt that this is a real supernatural thing that's happened again, uh-huh. and then she has like this one payoff this where she finally finds out the girls come back oh I guess they did departed I was right this whole time yeah uh so now she's kind of like jerked back onto the road of rationality and Kevin like regardless of what actually happened to him there's no way Kevin doesn't believe that he's special. And that he's sure. been through special events. And John seems like he's believing. Um Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of minds changed in this final episode, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. Now when he said when when Michael said, Is she still there? and he was like, Patty, no, she's gone. For me the moment he said that, I was really listening for Patty's footsteps in the rest of the episode. I was worried that she would show up again, which I think would tilt the the scale right back into rationality. Sure. If she's still there, then that implies that these experiences he had is norm was meaningless and he's just going through yet more biochemical craziness. And at the same time, it doesn't swing it the other way that she didn't show up, right? Like No. Maybe the, he just dealt with his demons and he's done. Sure. Yeah. Now he's he's a little healthier. Yeah, there's the always the placebo effect. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you, you, guy tells you you're gonna go on the shamanistic void death voyage and then it happens, and you wake up. That's a pretty fucking good placebo, if that's what it is. Sure. You wake up underground, damn, by the way. <laughs> pretty damn good placebo. Uh-huh. And then the same 24-hour period, you get shot, go through it again, come back again. Yeah. There's no way he doesn't realize, uh, hey, something special about me. On top of trying to drown yourself and surviving that. Yeah. Yeah, he's been saved three times now at this point. Uh do you recall, like, during that earthquake scene with the water draining, did, did we see, like, the, I guess, the bubbles from Kevin's stop or anything? Like, is there any indication whether no, he's dead underwater? No, it like there's a or... steady stream of bubbles that happened up until the earthquake event. Okay. So it's not necessarily that he died underwater and was brought back again. But that's, like, you know, the, that's the show's equivalent of asking how many uh, angels can dance on a pinhead. Well, the reason I'm going there is because a lot of people are like, oh, the third coming of Christ, and, like, he was resurrected from the dead three times, and, like, all these, like, nebulous connections to being some Messiah or Jesus figure based on the number of times he's come back, and I don't think that has anything to do with it. Well, but, I mean, Bubbles coming up, uh, what does that mean? It indicates that he still has air in his lungs. Or his escaping. I mean, have you jumped into a large body of water with a a brig? There's bubbles coming to the surface for a, a pretty long time regardless. There are, yeah. So it's like, I don't know that you can say that he's dead or not dead, or like if he went in and instantly took a, a lung full of air. Because didn't he spit up water? I don't remember. Uh, it's been too long. But yeah, like I, I, I feel like people saying that he died and was resurrected three times is a completely legitimate thing to say. Maybe. But it's it weird also because I be also true. want to tie that into Jesus, and that's not what Jesus did. I know, did. yeah. I don't understand that part of it. 
uh, these theories that are going around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From what I've seen, the facts as it stands to me are Kevin has come back at least twice from the dead, mm-hmm. uh, both times of which he ended up in this hotel. Different things happened to him. I'm fine with calling it three times. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just don't think it Virgil matters. did it to yeah. you know. Virgil says it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it seems like it's again, it's it's angels dancing on a pinhead. Um. So what about we found out what's in the box? Sure, we did. Yeah, we've said like that was one of our leading theories. It's the cricket in the box. It's not. It's ambiguous whether it is the cricket. Sure, it could be a false cricket. What is here's the problem with the cricket gift. You give your dad a dead cricket that isn't the real cricket, and the next day the cricket starts chirping again. What what would that tell him? Well, but that's the thing. Like, I don't... That's what I thought was interesting about the whole Erica John fight. That cricket could have been alive when she put it in there, and it just died because there's sure. no air holes. Yeah. And it could have been still alive when it was... When when Eric was left there alone singing in the box. Mm-hmm. Unless... So it, it might be the same cricket? It could, so, yeah, it's like... I don't think we'll ever know. There's no way to define. Defi- well, I guess Eric and, or um, Evie knows. So it's more important the message that it's sending to John. Yes, fucking let it go, dude. Let this shit go. Move on with your life. But that's not. I don't. So that's not what Evie was telling him. What was Evie telling him? Are, are you certain about that? I mean, that's the Why conclusion would Evie that as Eric the guilty comes remnant to. tell anyone to let something go. That's not their mo. I don't. I mean, Meg is a different breed of Guilty Remnant. She's not there for the same purpose. That's true. What is Okay, so let's segue into that. What is Meg's purpose? I feel like Meg's major purpose is revenge. She wants everyone to feel the same pain that she feels, and the fact that this Jarden place has been spared entirely from it is something she's unable to tolerate. I agree. She's an angry, angry person, and yeah. she is lashing out. And That's she, how I felt about it. she is co-opting the the guilty remnant religion to morph it into not necessarily a more violent, although they're not shy of doing violence, but a definitely more confrontational and reactionary movement. Now that raises questions for me as to why Evie is participating, because I didn't get any necessarily like anger from her. Yeah, but this thing, she's in a lot of pain and. Anger is a re- is a valid emotional reaction to experiencing pain. Sure, and that's the thing. Like, I don't understand why she's in pain. I guess that's, a, and I don't yeah. even think Michael does because Michael's reaction to the same stimulus was different than his sister's. But she had a hard time dealing with her dad being a murderer, or attempted murderer to that's her grandfather, and not understanding why. So this lends, I think, this lends itself to kind of the discussion we had about the conversation between Erica and Evie that we don't actually hear, but we see it's kind of an angry, it has this urgent tone to it. And I feel like she is aware of what her dad's been doing. And that's kind of where her anger comes from. And she needs to change his mind about it because he's just going to get put away again and he's going to leave her again. Right. Like I I am kind of also concerned. Well, but the thing is this guilty remnant plot's been in motion for far longer obviously, than that conversation she had with her mom. I don't, sure, but that's the part we see of it. I don't understand all of that, and that's a more fertile ground to revisit in the, the next season. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are, all, those, are, those are all interesting. I do feel like I haven't totally digested this episode yet. No, yeah, it's <laughs> and crazy. And what it means for every I've, character. I've seen it three times. Here's the other crazy yeah. thing. Uh, I got misty-eyed 
four or five times and outright sobbed the first time I watched. Um, uh-huh. The second time through, I got misty-eyed just as many times, and it actually got two sobs out of me. And the third time, like it was, it's consistent. Like I'm not getting any, emo- I'm not getting any armor, any any kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not getting uh, habituated to the exposure. It, in fact, yeah. I'm finding myself tearing up sooner now that I know the moment's coming. And then, like uh, when the sure. when the musical hammer drops, it's just just destroying me. But yeah, no, I'm I I agree. Like this could be, I could use a a, a couple more days or even weeks to digest some of this stuff yeah absolutely uh i man i don't know so so much of this is like inter intermingled intertangled with the rest of the the show what do you so that's why i I thought it was interesting john saying fuck you erica yeah which is a counterpart to uh kevin's fuck you Lori from season one okay which we always uh, said, like that's a sting, like that's a that was a fuck you that stays with you, that sticks to your ribs. It was with John too. That was a Oof. devastating fuck you. Did <laughs> yeah. did Erica deserve it? No, no, I don't think Erica deserves it. I think Erica has been putting up with his shit I, okay, for a okay. long time, yeah, and okay. he has been stubbornly refusing to acknowledge any of it. His, yeah, and in this scene, it's the ultimate manifestation of that. So like as much as it, as much as Erica is an asshole for snatching the gift and making him confront with that and then depths of his grief deal with that, it's a long time coming. Yeah. Okay. I think I agree. I, I agree with you. And and I mean it. It might. I don't know because I John like just refuses to acknowledge anything until the end of this episode, right? Where he he finally acknowledges I don't understand what's going on here. And Which John, I thought that's 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 I I am John. I don't understand what's happening. Okay. Kevin, me either. That's reasonable. Like, I, I think you're not supposed to. Like, and I think that's another that's another class of person that just can't deal with this show. Like, if you have to feel like yeah. you know the answers, I got a good grasp, and are not content to just go with the jerk, that it will probably drive you crazy, too. I think so. And um, I don't know. The the anger that I, that I get from John has always made me not like him instinctively, and I... I hate to say it, but you know how they they kind of do this with characters. They'll make like they did this with Lori. Mm-hmm. They'll bring him back around to where you start to sympathize a little bit with him by the end of it. Yeah, and I they did that extremely rapidly with John for me. Like halfway through this episode, I'm still like, "Fuck John!" No, not fuck you, Erica. Fuck you, John. Mm-hmm. I don't like you. And when he has this heart to heart with uh, Kevin on the floor of the the emergency room here. Uh, the urgent care place. And then also when he's walking back to his house and he's like, what, what do I do if there's nobody home? Yeah. Kevin's like, come to, come to my house. Right. That's, I don't know why, but that just makes me turn a corner on John. You know why? Because he's admitted that he's, he doesn't have the answer. Well, and also, he's going to look for it. As a human being, you're instinctively predisposed to feel sorry for other human beings in pain. Angry human beings you perceive as a threat and as assholes okay. and yeah. something needs to be attacked and destroyed. Uh, and that's something like uh, that's something evolutionarily hardwired into us. Like mm-hmm. when we hear someone crying or we hear someone in a, a sound of distress or pain, we naturally want to help. I mean, that's why how we get as selfish assholes. That's how we get through natural disasters. And because it goes right back to Axis Monday, right? It, exactly. Um, and I think that's what this brilliant show is. Is like, and that's you know that's what's missing from like 
discussions religion and politics is like the the, the we can't empathize, empathize with our enemies because we don't see the private pains and all the choices that then the struggles that they've gone that, that that's made them arrive at whatever viewpoint they have we just see the enemy that needs to be attacked or destroyed it's really kind of interesting to see how we can turn on a dime when john just lays himself bare and says i'm yeah. hurting and i'm angry this is why i'm angry and i don't understand and i'm weak we're ready to forgive I, him. I also like characters who are kind of stoic in the face of both adversity sure. and pain. Uh, but I think if John took that route after being confronted with all of this, I wouldn't have liked him anymore. The fact that he can admit to it, yeah, one well, that is, is what I really appreciated out of that character. Yeah, and let's go stick with that scene too. Um, you know, obviously, there are some Christ allusions to to Kevin, but also I thought that was a great doubting Thomas moment. The you finger know. in the bullet wound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to I, before I fully believe this because the cleaning <laughs> the wound was almost like what a little boy would do, you know, if he finds a person with a boo boo. Like that's this is wholly ineffectual for what the kind of wound is. That's the thing. Like I'm wondering how Kevin survived. Like after he reanimated or whatever he does, how does he survive the sheer blood loss? So. I feel like they've done a lot of research that like if you're because sh- it's kind of he shot. Right below the heart and lungs, to the side of the the spine, above the liver, like where like there's this miracle shot where you can just kind of poke a hole straight through someone and inflammation and stuff will will, because if you look at the blood that's on the floor, I don't think it's a lethal amount of blood. It's a Mark Watney plug in your spacesuit type thing. (laughs) Kind of like, you know, and yes, maybe it's implausible and all that, but it would, you know, I've, you wouldn't think a person take a railroad spike through the skull. Sure. And survive, yet I know for a fact people have done that. Yeah. You wouldn't think someone could fall and, and a rebar could go from their ass to, you know, their left ass cheek to their right shoulder and have that pulled out and then that's it. That's all the surgery they need. But yeah. yet I know for a fact it's happened. So I think Lindelof is trying to pile that on with the whole, you know, if you believe in Big Bang and evolution – you got to believe that some of these, you know, things that you perceive as coincidences are just the workings of the cosmos on a grand, unfathomable scale. That's the that's the I, line okay, they're I'm, still juggling. I'm with you. My I guess my problem with that is I view his first encounter at the hotel as him being dead. Yes. And so when I see him go to the hotel a second time, I assume he is dead, and that him coming back would have to be due to like. A, like he comes back and then he immediately needs like a blood transfusion and surgery and like sure no that, that's so the like thing. I'm that's a little word assume but, I think I'm getting in my own way here though but if the poison was like the serpent and the rainbow type of poison yes then he's not none of the he's not dead and he didn't suffocate at the bottom of the lake and he didn't die fatally from blood loss then these are all that's what I'm saying that's why should we show... talk about shamanism here yes because I think this is the perfect time please uh no I didn't make this connection because i don't know much about shamanism or any any other types of religions other than the christianity basically yeah um but lindelof in one of his interviews was talking about how they they came up with this concept of axis monday they really wanted this place to be special and then they they went to resla aslan and he was like well, well then they also said we want to make kevin kind of a, of a of a prophet figure yeah and so they go to reza and he's like well, there is something like that, um, something that uses an Axis Mundi to communicate between 
physical and spiritual worlds. It's called a shaman. Mm-hmm. And they do so via spiritual journeys. Like And Lindloff says everyone, with... as he's talking, just opens up their notebooks and starts scribbling things down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that's frantic, the thing. Like, everyone that hates... There's wisdom coming out of... The, or there's knowledge coming out of this man. Let's right. get it. Everyone, it. Everyone is bringing in baggage from the battles that he had with Sam Harris and everything. You got to know that... A lot of what made this season extra awesome was the ideas that came from his scholarship and research into early religion and shamanism and Eastern religions and stuff like that. Yeah, so to me, like, that idea that they wanted to make Kevin special and this place special in particular and the idea that a shaman would kind of come out of that. And how that informs, like, how I see Kevin's father now, how I see Holy Wayne, how I see Virgil. Like, all this stuff is very connected and how i see kevin himself like i don't see him necessarily as a jesus figure i see him more as a shaman yeah like, like he's, he's gonna a connection be between the worlds. space yeah he's gonna be able like like his father said i want to restart the world i felt like i saw kevin's world restarted in an honest yeah. like it's interesting with nora brilliant scene where she throws the the radio to the ground like fix this jesus you know that was like uh, when she's looking and this guy's like, you know, you can't fix things with a baby. And she's looking at this and Kevin's catharsis last season was based on a false falseness. Like he really hadn't. Sure. He yeah. really hadn't dealt with the root cause of his pain and the root cause of his loneliness. Whereas now he has. And I feel like he's got the ability to he restarted his own world. And. Yeah. Somehow, like everybody is, everybody in that room except for maybe Nora, I feel like is in a really good, p- peaceful place. And I'm going to make an argument for Tommy here in a minute. I think you got to make an argument for Jill too, because I'm. Well, that's uh, oh, I, you're right. Jill's okay. another, and and Jill needs a lot of attention next season. Yeah, a lot of attention. Yeah, she does. And I think that's going to be that's going to be super interesting. Uh, Before we get too far away from this axis okay. Monday concept, sorry, and yeah. the shamanism. Yep. Uh, and and specifically. The line that you mentioned about Kevin Garvey Sr. saying, you know, I'm going to restart the world. Uh, do you think there's any possibility that a season three kind of spells out how this Axis Mundi here and the Garveys going there and Meg going there and doing what she does is the catalyst for change across the world? Like, is there anything? Because this is a momentous event, right? Like, the one sure. place that was untouched by all of this has now been destroyed. Uh, I think that could be something that changes the story significantly going forward. Well, it's got to bring, if nothing else, it's got to bring down the full wrath of the federal government on the guilty remnant. That's what I'm thinking. Which, you know, when you go back to some of these interviews I saw with Reza and um, uh, and Lindelof, and they're talking about how some of this guilty remnant stuff is intentionally reminiscent of how Christianity started from within the Holy Roman Empire. That first it was this cult that was getting footholds that the empire actively tried to stamp out at every approach. They're feeding Christians the lions. And then as the empire was being weakened from within and without, it became as a, a way for them to unite the empire and, and rekindle hope. Okay. Yeah. And like, you know, they, like I, I don't want to debate about where the American empire is and, you know, the, the rise and fall of the Republic and all that. But a lot of that stuff is still there. It's in the back of our minds. Like, you know, mm-hmm. are we losing our status as superpower? Um, history does not look kindly on superpowers that get knocked off their pedestal. It's not like, hey, you get to retire to the superpower hall of fame and you usually get violently replaced with something else. Sure. So 
I think that's the guilty remnant as like an early Christianity. Yeah, and, and then and, I also and, like the the splintering that's happening even within the guilty remnant, and, and how that that's how religions start because there is yeah. you know like Jesus is dead, and you spend the next hundred years with his followers saying this is how I think. This should be. This is my experience. This is my experience, and that stuff keeps happens, and it's it's like a civilization of microcosm. The ball kind of gets moved from this side to this side until it eventually becomes, and then it splinters and fragments. And you got the Holy Roman Empire, and then you got Lutherism, and then you got Methodists, and you got Baptists, mm-hmm. and then you got Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and all this other stuff. It's endlessly fascinating. Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm... I don't know that I would ever have guessed I'd be so interested in a show that was so tied to religion Yeah. Um, in this particular way. But uh, I, it's the human aspect of it that also, like, without that part, I wouldn't be interested. Do you think it's invalid to have a secular humanist religion? Because that's another thing I kind of feel like I'm getting between the uh, lines of reading this is that Lindelof is thinking about the afterlife and thinking about his own sense of rationality and... Uh, that's something that Carl Sagan always touched on, too. It's like, why can't you have a religion based on the natural world and rationalism? And I guess I'm in that camp. Like, I don't see... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, at what point do you stop? No, I, I don't know, I guess, the exact definition of religion. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to say. That's true. When you have so many different kinds in the mix. And would that even be a religion? I don't know. And you feel like you don't have religion now. Yeah. And you're happy. Sure. But you felt really good when you watched The Leftovers. Yeah. So what if there was kind of a Leftovers-esque religion that made you feel that good all the time without having to believe in a Wait, style? what do you what do you mean Leftovers-esque religion? I'm, I'm just saying, like, like the, what, the if show you is could, not a religion. what if you could approach something from an intellectual, rational exercise and get that kind of satisfaction on a lasting basis? Like, is that what a secular religion would look like? Like an awe of the universe. A I feel like that's to... everybody's journey, though. That's not like a like yeah, a thing that right. has to I'm be putting... forced on anyone. It's it's just going to happen to them. I'm putting I'm putting labels on things that don't need it. It's just I, I I'm I don't know. Reza Aslan may have an entirely different view on it. Like, well, oh think... yeah, that's a totally a religion, and yeah, religion sure. doesn't need a god. Religion doesn't need any of that stuff. It and just he needs and he's he would know followers. the scholarly definition of it, which I'm not terribly yeah. interested in. So sure. No, like I said, I'm more interested in the human the human experience okay. that happens behind the scenes here, uh, which is I, – I don't know. I think it's there in spades, like everybody is dealing with this in their own way. Uh, do you want to talk more about shamanism or should we roll on? Because uh, I, I kind of want to talk no, about Jill I'm and good. I do, I do think it's it's brilliant how they kind of set all that stuff up as mm. Access Monday in the beginning, and you get this super f- confusing scene of a cave woman – what what am I seeing here? Why am I seeing it? And then by the end of this season, every I mean it, it's so rewarding. Did you catch that the the crazy lady that's that that they're not your baby lady that she had a snake tattoo on her arm? No. Okay, sure. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like taking the baby away from the mom. Fuck you, Lindelof. Yep. And in kind of the way Russ Cole said to Mar, it's not like like just an, a, a respectful fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I noticed, like a little weird observation, I, like I want to say that the only reason I brought Jill Lord because I want to notice like how funny the motorized bed sequence was. <laughs> like, there's not very a lot of humor yeah. in this show, and I'm not even sure why that worked, but it was pretty damn funny. 
Yeah, like what's going through Lori's head as she goes up and down on this bed. Sure. It's a little weird. Well, I think it's when this, the, the, the joke was that it's one of those beds where you just have a button that you push and it has to go all the way up before it can go down. So she wanted to recline. Huh. But she had to okay. go, and maybe there's even, God, maybe it wasn't just humor. It was a thematic. You got to go, you got to go in a direction you don't want to go before you get to where you want to be. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. You must first Here's... sit up before you lie down, my son. <laughs> Whatever. Wax on, wax off, bitch. I don't care. Uh, it's like my, my reclining chair in my living room, right? Yeah. It's, it's got two buttons. And every time I sit down, I push the wrong one. Sure. Every single time. And I go the opposite. Oops, I messed up. Yep. That's what I thought she was doing. But, okay. But maybe not. Uh, I also love the scene of Laura. You can kind of see that Nora is slowly losing her mind trying to take care of this baby. And this, this, yeah. this relationship had a, sh- a shelf life. Like it's too much <laughs> for one person to do. And she's yeah. smashing radios and then earthquake and Mary wakes up. What did you, aside from the joy it brought me to see Matt and Mary reunited and, you know, like I was ready to forgive I mean, I, I know this is a deeply personal decision, and it might be controversial, but I was ready to forgive Matt for raping his wife under these circumstances and still love him as a character. Oof. I'm not excusing it. I'm not condoning it. I'm okay. saying I understand why a man with these convictions and these feelings and this situation would do something like that. Having said that, I'm very relieved that I don't have to. Yeah, I don't have to empathize in that way. First of all, when she woke up, I love how they don't show her right away. They they have her say something. Yes, and we get Nora's reaction to what did I just? Who was that? Who could that possibly? Oh my god! And I thought for the first, I thought at, when that seems like we're going to get another where Mary says something to her that she needs to hear to give her the hope to move on. And then goes right back to and being comatose. Right, yeah, oh god! <laughs> but then so horrible. Well, I don't know that it for would. Matt for Nora, it'd be great. But I don't know what it would because that's kind of been her. Like that's what she did. Met she gave him the shot of the arm at his lowest point to get him to keep going on. That would be hilarious if just season after season she comes. But back honestly, with no. One I was glad. I was glad to see her up. I, I was super glad too because I didn't want to have to make that moral judgment on Matt. Um. And if they hadn't given me that, I would have had to. And I don't know where I would have fallen on that. I still don't know where I come down on that. Yeah. Because, like you said, I can understand why a man in that position might do that. But I don't know that that makes it okay. No, but it's like, um, what do you do if you have a friend that you find out is a murderer? Or that you find out is a rapist? Or that you find out is beat a child? Like, do you instantly say, we're not friends anymore? Or... Do you try to help them? Rec- I mean, because it's it's kind of like, can people rehabilitate and change? I I think so. Like yeah. I believe that. Yet so often in our personal experiences, we act as if that is like you've you've committed the unforgivable sin, and now fuck you, pal. Yeah, I don't know. So I think a lot of that has to do with like feelings of safety, um, and fear. Mm-hmm. But when they're your friend, I don't think the same concerns are there. Yeah, it's interesting. Right, because you know them too well, and you're too comfortable around them already. Yeah. It's like I have different circumstances. It's like if you're friends with a person and you find out something to completely recontextualize and your mind's blown, you're trying to figure out what to do, that's different than a person, like a friend of a friend. It's different than a public figure you admire. That's different than a public figure you kind of sort of hate anyway. Yeah, you're like that's different from a jail. That's like different than from a, tr- a, pu- a pure stranger. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's weird, like – 
again, I'm relieved that I didn't have to make that call, but I was thinking like, oh, you know, God, can you really, can you really stone Matt for like after seeing this man with so much obvious love and care for his wife in a moment of weakness? But yeah, I'm glad I don't have to do and that. And then, I mean, that reaction, those two different reactions are played out on John and Kevin, right? Yeah. When they find out, oh, Mary's pregnant. Yeah. John's like, fuck you, man. Yeah. And Kevin's like, sure. Yeah, like what I the fuck, what Matt? But yeah, what do you and what would his sister say? And yeah, no, it's it's great. And Christopher Eccleston's performance, finding that Mary is back, is this first time in the episode I got misty eyed. Yep, but it's just so great. Like there's so much joy. It's impossible not to be happy for him. Yeah, I agree. And then when she finds out she's pregnant, that if you know. Of course she's delighted. And then, like, I didn't even – I honestly didn't even need to have him say, remember that night we had sex? Her yeah. laughing out loud and being so happy at being pregnant already told me that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it was nice. To, it's nice to get the confirmation yeah. for the third part, for the, for the slope. But I didn't I, – I felt like I already emotionally knew that by the time they intellectually communicated it for realsies. I, so removing any argument there – I think is the wise thing to do. Probably a good thing. Otherwise, you could have a lot of controversy going on for a while. Which is fine. Controversy is fine. And, and healthy discussions and having conversations about what do you do in, in this particular case, I think, is is fine. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm... There's very few shows I see that deal with aspects or questions of rape where I'm like, well, that's a super thoughtful and interesting way to do it. And mm-hmm. I think The Leftovers did it. I thought Jessica Jones recently yeah. had a lot of interesting... Uh, valid things to say about it and it's nice to have that conversation and not just be like what they're doing sucks and it makes people feel bad and it's shitty and 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 regressive it's i i'm i well i i don't shy away from having the conversations i like it when there's something that you can have a thoughtful conversation about yeah uh can we go real quick back to the murphys whatever you see it's, it's it's at least half your show man so <laughs> right. do it uh because there are a couple of things i wanted to say uh, so Going back to Evie's gift real quick, I really like that moment where they open it because I, I think John's reluctance is all based on this is the last thing, the last new thing I have left of my daughter. Of right? course. Like if I don't open this, I still feel like I got a piece of her. That's why like I understand him saying fuck you because that yeah. was kind of a bit of a violation. Sure. And the other thing about it is we find out in this episode that Virgil is Erica's dad. So I don't know what kind of new light that sheds on anything. It doesn't. Nothing it's, really. It's but, deliciously. But it, I think it does say, I don't think he could have possibly. I mean, it all but rules out the idea that he molested John as a kid. It it seems like it's more something he did to Erica that he personally yeah, took Yeah, unless they were like next door neighbors and he can't like. And that's possible. I can't even. They're like high school sweetheart. They grew up. It requires said, yeah. a lot of tap dancing to get there. Sure. But so, on the other hand, Jarden's a very small town that's got the, it seems like everybody's been there from forever. So like it wouldn't surprise me if you had a multi-generational family that was maybe, in the same neighborhood maybe. as well. I'm just saying it requires less tap dancing than saying John was angry about something he did to Erica. No. Or yeah. the kids. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. doesn't really shed any new light. Oh, <laughs> uh, It could have been something he did to the kids. That's the thing. I mean, that's kind of where I've leaned mostly. Or it could also be something he did to Erica. It, potentially, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 and again, like I'm not too interested in speculating because to the extent that it matters, it will be revealed in the fullness of time. It does feel like it was something. But here's the th- here's the contra. John and 
Kevin's conversation that led to John being shot in the gut, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, Kevin being shot in the gut, yeah. did heavily imply it was something sexually done to John. Like the reaction John had to that uh, revelation felt more personally than, oh yeah, you found out the guy molested your wife and then... Yeah, I, it felt a little bit more I mean, personal than even like I get it. it's personal. I agree, when it feels super personal. But I, I don't know that I agree that that scene, like the language they use, is just ambiguous there. Whereas the language they used to say Virgil is Erica's father is not ambiguous. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was something like we're way off the page. Like, what if Virgil was supposed to watch? Uh, was supposed to watch Erica when she was a child, and he went off man whoring and left her. Like it couldn't be. He might not have molested mm-hmm. anyone. He could have done something still with his infernal machinery that led to her being hurt or John being hurt when he should have okay. been doing something else. And it's kind of like an addiction problem. Like you didn't take care of your responsibilities and someone got hurt. Yeah. Like it wouldn't shock me if it's something way outside the box like that. You know what would shock me? What? if we ever heard what the actual reason is. Really? I don't think we're ever going to know. I don't think that's the yeah. type of secret the show needs to keep, but on the other hand, I don't need to know it. It's kind of like... I it's... don't think the show is keeping it secret. I think the show doesn't need you to know it. Yeah, the characters that need to know, know it, yeah. and the audience is not one of those characters. It's kind of like none your business. But you feel the emotion that is intended, right? Okay. Without knowing the specifics. I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, let's talk about Meg's bomb, because the other issue that I had some people had issue with the fact that Meg's a super violent GR, but she didn't actually blow up the bridge. Yeah. And like, you know, why did she threaten the plastic? Uh, to me, it made perfect sense. Like introducing these girls and the idea that there's rigged with explosives is the perfect way to make these Rangers stand down and put in a kind of hostage situation. Cause that's what you do when you're in a situation where you don't jump in, you, you try sure. to buy time and negotiate. Don't escalate, yeah. And you also get these crazy people that have been sitting there stewing for months and God knows how long whipped up into a frenzy so that this small pebble sized guilty remnant group can get the snowball rolling down the hill and, and overwhelm the Rangers. Like to me, it all felt like it made sense. I think it's also part of a one, two combo. Like you take the girls away They start feeling, you know, Jarden starts feeling the sudden departure. You bring the girls back and say, we're taking them away for real now. Yeah. It it hits them again, right? And then they're like, oh, God. (laughs) Like, they deeply feel what everyone else has been feeling. So Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's There are dubious, in my head, dubious motivations. I don't totally understand all of the motivations here. Well, well, so I want to say, the other thing that kind of bothered me about this episode why is the park rangers so deferential to John? Like this whole season, John feels like he's like a law unto himself. Yeah. This time, like, like the town. Hey, we found out a branching print that might've killed your daughter or abducted her. It's your neighbor. Let's all go grab him, take him off to the animal shelter and allow you guys to have a showdown after we give you time to get a gun. Uh, like in what world do the police work that way? I guess in a world where John runs the fucking town. <laughs> but, but why I don't does know John why... run the town? Like, I don't know. To me, it's like, to me, he's a convicted, attempted murderer. Like, I, do you think we'll get more like, answers get... to that? Like how I mean, this man releases the is release. Do you think that there is an angry undercurrent in Jarden that maybe the Rangers are sympathetic to? Because 
you look at how the Rangers were when when Miracle first opened, mm-hmm. and you look at how they are now. There's been a coarseness and a hardening of their relationship with the outsiders coming in, and even with like dealing with the townsfolk. Maybe John is like the Batman of Jarden. Uh, the reason he gets away with his vigilanteism is because the citizens, you know, Batman gets away with what he does because the citizens of Gotham broadly uh, are in favor of brutalizing criminals and see that the official instruments of justice are corrupt and ineffective. Is is John the Batman of Jarden? Because that's the only so, thing that makes it make sense. You might be you might be onto something, especially considering the stuff we've seen of Erica's workplace, where people like when some, John beats somebody up, people come to her and say, "You need to." talk to this guy yeah so clearly more than just the family knows about it oh sure like uh, I, the preacher knows about it. i feel like it's an open secret the preacher, yeah yeah so maybe it's not even a secret it's just a secret with new folk who come in um and maybe yeah maybe the rangers are are in on it and he's kind of doing do you think thing. Well, there'll be like newspaper clippings in the first few minutes of next season saying like <laughs> what widespread corruption because think about it, if john shoots kevin and he dies while he's under the custody of the Park Ranger Service, that's a major scandal. Oh, hell yeah. Plus, and, I mean, and the I fact couldn't... that this place, this place got ran over anyway is already going to be a fucking scandal. Like, oh, I, yeah. I have no idea what the end game of this particular peace setting is. Well, when John shoots Kevin, I'm like, oh, he's going away for a long time this time. Oh, sure. Like, good. you're not seeing your kids again, man. Did you think, okay, that's the other thing. Did you think that Kevin could die? Yeah, I did. I did, too. After this, this uh... I, I thought that might have been his one, his one pass is the hotel in mm-hmm. the international assassin. Yep. When he died, I was like, "Wow, wow, wow!" <laughs> that is a that is a way to take the story. And I wasn't even like mad. I wasn't like, "Oh bullshit!" Yeah. This is. I just you know like, "Wow." Yeah, I was shocked when he woke up in the hotel again. Honestly, I was a little pissed. But then when he crawled out of the tub, looked in the mirror, and just screamed, motherfucker, I was right back on board. Yeah. Because that's exactly the reaction I think everyone <laughs> was having to that. And, if, if, like, I, I'll put up with a lot if I feel like you're being honest with me. Yeah. If I feel like you're playing tricks or you're fucking with the characters, that's what sets me against you. But that mm-hmm. felt all organic and honest. Yeah. No. I, and then it's not just that, right? He goes to the hotel lobby after putting yeah. on his cop uniform, and he gets down yeah. there. He's like, you need to sing to get out of here. He's like... I don't believe you. Why? Because it's stupid. That's stupid. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> it's like, that's the perfect line. That's exactly what I would say and what I was thinking. Before I get away, because I talked about Meg's bomb. If people had a problem with it not being violent, I don't feel like Meg particularly wants to kill people or doesn't want to kill people. Like, if a ranger didn't jump out of the way, she would have ran them down. Mm-hmm. If people die in the ensuing chaos and get trampled on the bridge, I don't think she cares about that either. But that's not... She's not out just to kill people. She's out to inflict maximum devastation. And her perfect world is a world in which the guilty remnant have a peaceful protest in the visitor center while everyone else tears the place apart. <laughs> yeah, seems kind of like what happened here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, they put on their normal clothes and blend back in. I don't know. I, I have no idea what they do next season. I imagine we'll talk uh, a little bit about that, but like I just I, I don't have a lot of, of, of thoughts and, and speculation on it. Yeah, because this season came in so out of left field. Uh, the, the other things about like the bridge, I really do love that scene when uh, John goes and gets Erica and brings her back to the bridge, and she breaks through. And how happy and, they are, and how quickly it turns to anger and frustration and confusion. Yeah. Ugh. 
Especially with John that first time when he's alone oh, and he sees yeah. her. He's just so happy. And then he realizes... And he's struggling to understand, like, what is going yeah. on? Why? But then he gets Erica, and Erica comes out there, and she's trying desperately to talk to her daughter. She gets she... some response. She's Plus, signing to her. That oh. was the part that got me, is just, like, pulling out all the stops, man, you know? Yeah, no, as a person who would who has been cut off by multiple family members like that felt so emotionally real, the desperation to reestablish yeah. a contact and the confusion and pain from where is this coming from? Sure. Oh, no, it's brutal. Yeah. I definitely so got misty eyed at that point. Uh, I, I definitely got, got choked up. That's the set one. And on subsequent view, knowing it came, it actually got me. I, I actually got a few, few sobs choked out of me too. Oh, all right. Uh, I also love that this, scoreboard which i thought was kind of incidental and just yeah, like that the guilty remnant hacked it, it. was kind of kooky but, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah i so i assume it's the guilty remnant and not just like a a it, i thought Jardin they showed, a guy, I thought they showed goes, a guy at the laptop hooked up to it that like megan was given like a nod to oh okay so right. i thought it would that make sense i could also see just like the the people going fuck yeah let's put up an hour so a lot of people thought like they had a up. problem with them cheering the bridge being blown up but to me like these people are not healthy. Like, yeah. every time the camera is paused over these people, these people are fucked up. That's of true. course they would welcome anything from the monotony of waiting for the park services to get their shit together yeah. and approve their request for whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, blow. it's kind of, uh, you know, you got, a, you got the toxic parts of protest culture clashing with people's impotent rage. Uh, against the system combined with anything that would upset the status quo and the authority symbol. Like I have no problem believing that people would cheer that something like that and their own confusion and sadness. You know, I mean, this is another manifestation of these people's feelings here. It's not like they're going and doing their burning man thing outside of Jarden just cause. Uh, do we want to talk about the church service where Michael finally gets tired of this spared shit? I mean, yeah, I think we should. I, I don't know what to say about it because it's all surface level. This is what you thought happened. It's true. This yeah. is what was going on he in the background. Literally says it. Deal with it. Uh-huh. And then John comes in right at the point where it might get interesting to see what everyone's reaction. So it's like, yes, it's significant. You watch the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, but he makes the exact point I was making an international assassin. Yeah. About Patty being completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, and these connections being. You know, something that we experience in everyday life and all that stuff and don't need to go over it again. And I'm also thinking about this stuff with the parents and the the girls and the bridge. Like, you, you know what the clusterfuck this whole show would be if the actors just didn't kill it in every scene that they have to? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine, like, Erica versus Evie if either one of those actresses were at a replacement level? It just wouldn't fucking work, man. Yeah, it's shocking to me that they can find so many just totally on point like this it's not a super tiny cast i mean there's no but it's it's what happens like when people when eight, you're, people when you're casting them, but... people and your creatives give a shit yeah and they don't just like settle for the right look yeah or the right whatever it's the whole package um what did you think that this is kind of echo of uh patty and, and kevin from last season but what did you think of evie Telling Erica, you understand, when she said, why are you doing this? Do you understand? I didn't understand. Okay. (laughs) Me either. But I I get the feeling that, like, they need to remove this false hope from people. So what I want to speculate is that Evie had found out her mom was planning to cut and run. 
okay. because she had put up with pain for so long gotcha. that she was willing to abandon her children, her family, and Evie saying, oh, no, you, you exactly understand where this is coming from. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. She's wearing infinity symbol earrings. Does that mean anything to you? Evie Jill? is. No, Evie is. On Jill the, is, On too. the bridge. Jill is, too? Yeah, Jill. I didn't notice Evie. Jill absolutely is wearing infinity symbols when she's having her angry conversation with Lori and all that. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm okay. thinking of Jill, but okay, because I did that not would notice be a that crazy about Evie. I didn't notice that about Jill. Okay. Uh, God damn, it's one of those things. Like, let's pause the podcast and watch the episode again. No, I can't do that. Can't do that. Um, uh, what did you think? Because you know, my one of the things I hate about The Walking Dead is they use the baby as a way to push the, emo- the emotional buttons of the audience. And, like, you know, if you don't give a shit, as a parent, I cannot see a child helpless and in danger and not massively give a shit. Yeah. And that's – this is the thing that really broke me down when – Wow. Okay. The the kid got hurt the, when she, that crazy lady stole the baby, mm-hmm. the snake lady stole the baby – and took off in the crowd. I'm already like, oh my god, worst parental nightmare. Then you see that the baby is just laying there, helpless, almost being trampled. I though, that overhead shot, man, and, made and, me cringe. And Nora shielding with her body and getting kind of semi trampled. And then, like Tommy stepping in, huh. completely back backlit by sunlight as this almost angel. Yeah. Uh. Taken into safety, like I feel like that's where Tom Tommy's going to be all right because he now he now understands. First of all, that's uh, it's kind of interesting to point out that's Holy Wayne's baby, and it's is it still his job to save him? Good, good question. Save her, yeah. But also the fact that like he now knows, like when Meg says family is everything, she was saying cynically, like family is the thing we have to destroy. Yeah, family is the thing; it's the key to everything. Mm-hmm. Where he's now understanding that, like I can build my life around. These people need me. I can save these people. I've made a positive difference. Yeah. Like, I feel like Tommy's going to be fine next season. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy at all. No, I think he's seen how hollow, how like, what has Meg really done besides fuck a bunch of shit up? And what has he done besides spare a yeah. mother and a child, this heartache and death that was senseless? He's perfectly recreated the, the cave woman scene. He's done that. <laughs> Kind of like, yeah. I mean, that's what it evoked for me. Sure, sure. Like, no, that's you know, exactly, Nora cradling yeah. this baby, trying to protect it and save it, and then Tommy coming in and saving him. Yeah. Uh, no, but when he says it's okay, you know, when he when he put out his hand and, and helped, oh, Jesus. I, huh. Yeah, it's like it was an All emotional right. bomb going off in my living room. Gotcha. Uh, I've got one more emotional bomb for you oh. if you want to talk about it. Are we going to talk about uh, Simon and Garfunkel? Fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the whole hotel sequence. Yeah. Cause there's some interesting stuff in there with his dad or lack. Tries to get his dad. I thought, did you think he was going to set the bed on fire? <laughs> no, I, I don't he think would try he realized it. that the fire was the thing necessarily. Really? Uh, I think we analyzed it a little more than he yeah, did I guess in that moment. True. But it's interesting that his dad is not on the TV, I guess. And he wouldn't be because he's not setting fire in Perth anymore. I, I don't know whether you want to read into that and say what the status of Kevin Garvey senior is, but yeah. Okay. We'll find out in the fullness of time. Or we won't. Either way. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, then he goes downstairs. He delivers the excellent I don't believe you because it's stupid line. Uh-huh. So they have a few songs written up on this wheel. One of them is... I got them all. Like a Prayer by Madonna. Which was their first choice. Yeah. And I think that 
that would have been a materially worse choice. Uh, yes, I'm thinking Homeward Bound is the and perfect thank you, Madonna, song. for big timing Damon Lindelof because yeah, you, Madonna said no. Yeah, you, we we dodged a bullet there. Why would Madonna say no? Because she's never seen the show and she's yeah, I don't but know. why she woke if up on the songs, anti she woke up on the anti commercial side of the bed this morning. She you need you need to get play, lady. You need to at this point. Wherever you can get it, get it. I don't know. Like she seems to be uh, okay. She can, unless she's done. She's I don't just think like, she's done. Yeah, she just went whatever. on this big worldwide tour, and there's like you know. Did she? She is she relevant anymore? She I, had a little comeback in the. 2000s, are there still gay men being born? I th- yeah certainly that that well, like club music because it seems like yeah. that's that's a big passion audience that she has. That that's true. And I, you know, it's like I, she hasn't been relevant to me, but I was, I guess, I, like I said, she just went on this big worldwide tour and sold a bunch of tickets, and I think she had an album out. They, like they should have just done "Do You Believe" by Cher, or <laughs> well, "Believe" whatever it's called. I kind of feel like that's yeah, Madonna's going down the Cher path a decade later. Okay, and then who will be the you know what Britney Spears? Britney Spears <laughs> is going to be going down a Madonna path ten years so. now. Who knows? I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, no, I this. Simon and Garfunkel, Homeward Bound, the lyrics, and the way that they interspersed, in, you know, like, I didn't need it, but I think it made it more powerful the way they reminded us gently about all these things. And yeah. as Kevin, like, Kevin starts just going through the motions. And I also thought it was great because um, Lindloff said that Justin Thoreau, when he saw the script, he's like, great, I'm com- I'm completely on board. Problem. I cannot sing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I thought he sounded good. Oh, Jesus. No, dude. That was bad. Well, he was choked up, but he, he sounded pretty good. When Otherwise, he started off? No, no, no. No, no, no. When he starts off, he's... Off-key and bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But by the end but of I it, he's singing. But I think that's what... I actually think that him being a terrible singer made it a much more vulnerable performance. Like, a, if he was Carrie underwood I, I don't worse. know that it would I've work. heard much worse. Okay. Um... But no, like he's talking about the, you know, his destinations booked and all these one night stands, and there's this magical moment where I think it hits his character and us as the audience that he's singing about himself, yeah, and it's intercutting these as flashbacks, and you know, I when he says I'll play the game and I'll pretend, and it flashes back to his four smiles at his dad's birthday party. Yep, got smoky in the and room, got I'm, real smoky. Sh- the shades of mediocrity, talking about that's his life. Like he, everything was handed to him, and he sure. had to work for it. It, yeah, totally, yeah, eyes burning really bad in the scene, <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. It's stupid and dumb and beneath us all, and yet here we are because it's heartfelt. Like I don't. I don't feel like it was dishonest. I felt like it was just... Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, he wakes up in the dog quarantine area where all the dogs have left. I guess did the guilty remnant come in, see this man dead on the floor, and just let dogs out? I, I guess. Except for Kevin's dog. Unless Kevin with did him. it. I don't know. Kevin's hmm. body. No, I don't know. I don't... Probably. It must have been I, the guilty remnant. I don't understand. That's the one other question I've got. I don't know what thematically it means that Kevin's dog... Stayed by him just to leave as soon as he knew Kevin was okay. Yeah, and I I mean, he leaves by going out across that bridge away from Miracle. I don't know if that says anything about the future for Kevin. Sure. Not sure. Sure. Um, But I don't know. It works thematically and emotionally. I just don't understand what it means, man. I'll let the mystery mystery of the dog be... (laughs) Uh, there's I mean, also. The I don't obvious... know how much we talked about this David Burton guy before we leave the hotel entirely. Wait, we know he's David Burton. 
So a lot of people are, yeah, assuming he's David Burton. Because okay, but he doesn't he identify Australian as David Burton. He never identifies as that. We Do we know what he said to Kevin on the bridge that, no. that night? No. I feel like my theory of uh, he told him what happened to the girls is very strong because that's one of the last things Kevin heard, and that's what he thinks about. And that's what he wakes up. Yes. So I think that I think that that was my understanding was that was Kevin's subconscious and conscious coming together, shaking hands and getting right with the world. Hmm. Now, I don't know why he comes back. I don't understand him being recontextualized, except for if this is still all Kevin's subconscious, then why not? Why not take that experience and add it and spin it? And now this guy's negotiating, you know, telling you to sing a lounge lounge sign instead of or lounge song instead of. uh, telling you to hang yourself. Uh huh. Okay, that's all I want to say about him. He might, may or may not be David Burton. He has an accent, and he seems to be a, a so. So Jordan being on fire hellhole is exact is the same kind of thing with the you know Mapleton from last year. I thought, oh, they've done it again. They've done it again. When Kevin grabbed that nightstick and started ahead, I thought like this didn't pay off at all. But when he picked up that nightstick. That was single-handedly more badass than anything I've seen from Into the Badlands. Just the threat of a just, beating? Just this immortal man bringing a nightstick and heading off to do All battle right. with yeah. these fuckers. Like, it, not, again, nothing came of it. But this, and the way they hit the, the music with it, it's like, aw, shit. Retribution. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a season three arc. Him and John team up to take back Jarden. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, and Nora, an Nora and Lori riding shotgun, like mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, I'd get down for that. Uh, and the guy on the pedestal the entire time, John C. Riley, just hanging out there. Vigil. Yep, I love it. They can't get to him. What are they going to do? Like, no, nope. he's, he's just, just up en- there. He's enjoying the dubstep riot going on. And he's like, I like to think they've adopted him, right? Like, he's something that's been, you know, he would have been a representation of Miracle if not for being so kooky. Yeah, no, I don't see. And the, these people are just like, I don't see part the of festival us freak show crowd having a problem with him. They no. they probably love him. Yeah, they probably heard of his. He's their new mascot. Sure, he was like their beachhead. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So we talked about the scene in the emergency room, the Downing Thomas, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I don't understand what's happening. Me neither. And I wrote down my notes. That's the leftovers in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, the fact I wrote that, down, like, you do understand. Finally, you understand. That you don't understand. Well, not only like, that, but like, that's the key breakthrough here. Also, the fact that this is the re- is this another thing that like we've gotten the reason that our lives have become meaningless because we've gotten away from what the concept of family and neighbors and friends, and that John is kind of healed just by what if I go home and there's no one to come home to? And mm-hmm. Kevin says, "Well, then, son of a bitch, you come over to my house." Yeah, like I like that as a thesis statement too. Okay. Like in times, Definitely. in bad times, we band together because that's that's what we do as human beings. Yeah. Uh, there is another earthquake, and Kevin comes home, and literally everyone that I care about and cares about him and he cares about is in this house. And Nora comes out and says, "You're home." I just and I again lost my shit. I. It's such a syrupy saccharine Walton's ending, what? but the show fucking earns it, and they can have it. In what condition? Would Kevin need to come home for them to raise an eyebrow? <laughs> he has come home soaked. He's come home covered in dirt, and now he is covered in blood, head to toe, with a gunshot wound. And these people don't bat an eye. Like I could see maybe Nora and Jill not not batting an eye, but yeah. Lori. 
Well, Lori, Lori hasn't seen him like this. But she saw how crazy he was. I mostly, yeah, but Matt's crazy is, a lo- is already a lunatic anyway. Like that's the thing. Like everyone in this house is so. kind of, everyone in this house is kind of lunatics except for Lily, yeah. and she's the baby of a she's the she's the daughter of a lunatic. Who's not a lunatic yeah, I, in this house? Mary. Well, sure. Mary's been sitting out the funny yeah. farm. <laughs> she's got she's disavowing all knowledge of this <laughs> quote unquote family. It's a crazy ass family. Like. So here, I have a huge, I have big questions I want to talk about, about this. but before we move on, yeah, I want to yeah. talk about the other songs that were on the board, because I wrote them all down. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't Stop Believing from Journey, Living okay. on a Prayer, uh, Bon Jovi, bon Jovi. Yep. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen, hmm. I Would Die for You, Prince, uh, The Homeward Bound from Simon and Garfunkel, and All My Exes Live in Texas, George Strait. <laughs> Which, that, that one's sounds in there for like a the, joke. It, but it's the joke because like Lori and Nora yeah. are in Texas, but uh-huh. also like I looked up the lyrics because I haven't heard that song in forever. Uh, and there's like lines about how he he can't live in Texas anymore; he's got to live in Tennessee. But he revisits Texas every night through transcendental meditation, yep. like a spiritual journey to Texas. And I'm like, again, fuck you, Lindelof, <laughs> fuck you. I think that's you, awesome. you made exes in Texas work <laughs> on a meta contextual level, other than just a sight gag of his ex in Nor- yeah, yeah, great. Okay, that's but awesome. all the other ones have obvious spiritual undertones or self sacrifice undertones or sure. atoning for misdeed. Like, yeah, no, it's but Homer Bound's the best one. Yeah, some thought went into the choices on that board. Uh, you had a thought that I rudely cut off. I have. So many questions about the future of this family, yeah, this quote unquote sure. family. Like, we've got some sort of weird love slash psychology triangle here between Nora and and uh, Lori, okay, and Kevin. Like, what does this family put back together look like now that I Nora is part know. of the picture? I don't know because I don't think that. And significantly that Nora has become kind of a mother that Jill likes, and Jill is totally on the outs with Lori right now. Yep. That's something that has to be figured out. Yeah. I think that's a big key component going forward for the show. Sure. But I don't know. I I mean, I asked the question not to get an answer, but to throw that thought out in the air and say they need to think about this. Oh, I bet they will. I'm sure. Think about it long and hard. And bring in a marriage consultant. Who knows? And you know, Kevin's going to want Lori around because maybe she can help him. Like, I don't know what residual feelings there are there, but I don't know. I don't know that he needs because, like, when he said to John, "Maybe Evie doesn't love you." Okay, that's an insight he had about himself. Like, I don't know that he loved Lori. Hmm. And I don't know that he loves. I don't. I, I want to say he loves Nora, but I also thought it was telling in when he was thinking about Homeward Bound. Like we saw Lori and Tommy and Jill and Nora, we did not see Lily. Does that imply that that's something like? Are there? How is he going to? Huh. How is he going to roll back all the decisions he made as Crazy Kevin? Which ones are authentic ones? Which ones are he going to take responsibility for? I think that's yeah. an interesting question, too. Like, you're right. He invited Lori back in his house. Is that something he's going to stand by? 
And what the hell is? I mean, Nora what does that mean for seem, Nora? What yeah, mean for she Jill? doesn't seem like she's gonna love that decision. And honestly, Jill wouldn't either. And Jill, yeah, Jill is perfectly entitled to her rage and pain against her mother, and she doesn't. <laughs> oh, that line, man. Yeah, I will. I will. That line where Jill, where Lori comes up and is like, "You're gonna have to talk to me eventually." No. Oh fuck. my God. Yeah. No. Fuck you, lady. Thank you, Jill, for throwing that back in her face. I will. I will. I will rep for Jill till my dying breath. Like, <laughs> yeah, she might choose to forgive her mother, but she don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. She tried. She tried. It almost got her killed. Uh huh. She tried so many times to make a bridge to her mother. Yeah. Good stuff. Until it was too late. So I don't know. I don't know what this family looks like when it's put back together, but it'll be interesting sorting that out. Sure. And I hope they deal with it in season I mean, three. I know for a fact that we did not see the 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 Garveys all moving to to Texas to a national park no. where no one died as the as the context for season two. Not where one it bit. was almost entirely absent the guilty remnant. Like, so is it? It's it's futile trying to figure out what they're going to do next season, and I don't want to. And I tell you what, no. I'm going to try. Although here's okay. In between the in, after the first episode, they had this season on, and they showed a whole bunch of shit. They showed some of the riots in Jarden. They showed Matt in stocks. They showed all this stuff happening, uh, and I'm like, I don't want to know any of these images. I don't want. I don't want to know any of it. But I gotta say, it didn't detract from my enjoyment at all. Yeah. Because how Matt wound up in the stocks, how Jarden ended up getting destroyed, yeah. was the whole part of the story. So now I'm like, do I want to watch the next seasons on and the next weeks on next year, or do I really care? I don't know that I care. And like it. So, speculation on the future of this show, I think, also hits that exact point that you made. Whereas, you know, you can see something, but how they get there and, and why they get there are very, very much more important. Um, like, I don't need to speculate on what the plot will be next season. I don't think there's any point in doing that. Like you said, we had no idea on this one. But. I think there are some unresolved things that need to be addressed. Australia. For us to feel good. I, I don't even know if Australia needs to be one Yemen. of them. <laughs> but specifically with this family, right? I think that's mm. the most important yeah. thing. They're they're back together and there's a big smile on everyone's face, but there are some real issues to work out. Sure. And those are the types of things I can say for sure that they need to touch on next season. And you, you talk about Kevin's family. I want to know what's going on in John and Michael and erica too oh man yeah like how changed is john does sure. that make erica uh want to stay with him sure now what about evie like is she just going to be in the gr and they're going to have to deal with that or how does that change their their family relationship you know yeah it's, it's gonna be the, i limit does say that he likes the murphys a lot Sure. So I don't know if he'll abandon that part of the story, and I kind of hope he doesn't. It would feel weird. It would feel weird if they just completely abandoned Jarden altogether. But then again, I would have said the same thing about Mapleton. Yeah. So. And Jarden is just not, as destroyed. I'm not putting any limitations on what the this, these people do. And the other thing is, like, yeah. you know, what does Tommy make of this? Like, when they sit down and have this conversation and catch up, which I assume they'll do, uh-huh. it'll come out that. Kevin met Holy Wayne, right? I assume so. Like, there's a lot of interesting possibilities just in a, like, listening. I could I could go for eight hours of just him having one-on-one conversations, honestly. Catching up on what they don't know about each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's plenty of stuff to mine here from uh, 
you know, a, a personal interaction sort sure. of aspect. But, but and plot, also like whatever. Nora's still got a lot. I feel of redemption ahead. Uh, uh, Lori, honestly, feels like a very angry, unsettled, yeah. unresolved character. She needs more. Uh, and Jill. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't mind a, a season just focusing on the women. Yeah. Figuring out what's going on with them. Yeah, it feels like this season has been really about getting Kevin to where he needed to be. Yeah. Um, so that this can actually be a family. Hey, uh, it's a couple weeks for Christmas. A couple things I wanted to draw your attention to. Number one, we're, uh, you know, the only reason we're able to do The Leftovers, along with Fargo and some of these other smaller shows, is because uh, the 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 fans see the benefit in our and are coming on and talking with it on a weekly basis. We do tons of shows. We, if you go to baldmove.com, we're, we're doing shows all the dang time. Um, but the only way we can do it is because the listeners see the value in it and they choose to support us. And there's two ways to do that. One is club.baldmove.com, where you pay as low as a buck a month and you get ad-free podcasts and a bunch of bonus features. Right now we're doing something cool. It's called the 25 Days of Bald Move Christmas. Uh, the, 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 long, the short story is we... Uh, pick a random bottle of booze, airline-sized bottle of booze off a tree every morning. We drink it. We sing a Christmas song, and we show off some fan art and stuff. And on Fridays, we drink three day worth and get liquored up and then do a lunch with all the premium subscribers. Yep. If that sounds like a good idea, or if you want the ad-free feeds, go to club.baldmove.com to find out how. Another way you can help us while we help you is by using the amazon.baldmove.com link. Uh, for all your Christmas shopping, you don't have a lot of days left. Amazon can get it to you in a quick time with very cheap prices and good selection. Uh, Amazon.baldmove.com. It costs you nothing and gives us a little tiny bit of support, and we can use every bit of it. Uh, thanks to everybody who has supported us this year. And, again, we couldn't do it without you. And if we could uh, get some new subscribers, that would be great too. Shall we get the feedback? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We probably have a bunch, don't we? We do, we do. I had to make, I had to make, it's funny because like this show had almost no feedback and then it came on like a freight train the last three episodes and I've had to make uh, my first brutal cuts of the season. Janelle sure. from Sweden says, like you guys, I assume the Euros that Kevin had in his wallet simply had to do with him being an international assassin. Are you ready for a fuck you, Linda Love? Okay. However, Euros, unlike most bills, do not have portraits of people on them, but picture famous bridges around Europe. <laughs> nice. She suggests, I guess, is to symbolize the EU building bridges. The front of every Euro bill has a picture of a window or a gate, and the back of the bill has a picture of a bridge. Christ, man. That's some next level shit. Also, if you believe that he is indeed a shaman and this is the bridge between sure. the spirit and physical worlds, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. So thank you for that. And she, ironically, uh, Sweden doesn't use the EU. They, they retain their krona. So good for uh, them. Th- thanks for uh, thanks for telling us about that. Anne. Jake from Tallahassee said most of the show's praise gets thrown at the actors and Lindelof. But what about Mimi later throughout yeah. two seasons? She has produced 14 episodes and directed seven of them. Those insane close-up angles are hers, yeah. along with saturated color grade and razor-sharp cinematography. She's not quite doing the full Soderbergh, who directs every episode of The Nick, but she's putting her stamp on the leftovers every week. With four episodes and extended finale, she directed half the season. Uh, so, yeah, hard to... He says, hope you guys shine some light on her next cast. Thanks for helping us with that, Jake. Hard to believe she went from pay it forward to running the best show on television. <laughs> Uh, no, I, you're right. Um, 
And I felt I'm, like Lindelof did a really good job of, of spreading the praise around and making sure that she does. is yeah. one of – got to put her with him and Parada for being one of the kind of uh, – they're on the Mount Rushmore of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess maybe you put Reza up there too uh, for at least season two. Yeah, it doesn't – so to me, I mean, Lindelof's comments feel like there doesn't need to be a Mount Rushmore yeah, of this a, show. It, it needs to be like the big party uh, with everybody – but there's some people that have more fingerprints on the show than others, and Mimi sure, is right sure. up there. Yeah, and I mean, I've praised the directing before, but not specifically her. Um, like, mentioned her name, even though I've heard it around, because I'd never look at who directed what. It might be Letter, because, you know, that's my thing. I yeah. mispronounce things. Uh, but yeah, she's done an outstanding job, and it doesn't surprise me that she directed that uh, that scene with Regina King and Carrie Coon. Uh, Jasmine says, I love how the leftovers uses not only symbolism for the Western, but also Eastern thought as well. The theme of cycles is really apparent in this season. Kevin seems ah. stuck in Samsara, the cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth, which by the way, if you want to blow your mind some Friday night, check out the, the documentary Samsara on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, in, or in- look at Jill's ears. <laughs> You've got a sick fetish you got. No, her ears. I get it. The infinity symbol. Never mind. They go on forever. Yes. In a way, John does too. Even after he's released from prison, ending one part of his life, he's doomed to live the same patterns in his anger and his relationships and even the way he attacks Kevin. Hmm. Uh, Evie gives her father the cricket because he just won't let it go. The departure is represented as a negative event because we can only experience it from behind uh, the perspective of a confused, lonely, and frightened people left behind. But from the perspective of Samsara, they may have reached this sort of nirvana. They're free mm. from the cycles of birth, left, life, and death because, as far as we know, they'll never die in any sense that we understand. So who is spared? The people left behind or the departed? The only thing that makes me roll my eyes a little is the way the theme plays every time a big moment, quote-unquote, happens. I feel like the people who love this show have already taken the plunge and are willing to watch carefully and consider details <laughs> thoughtfully. We don't need the music signal to put our thinking caps on or to cue tears. Am I being cynical? Yeah, that's every show, man. My answer is that's yes. That's every movie, every show, everything you've ever seen. Because I call this lo- this this leftovers motif the hammer. Because if I'm All feeling right. tight in my throat when that <laughs> It'll get when that fucking violin and piano start up, it's the hammer, man. You're right. So it it works on me is 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 all I can say. Uh, uh-huh. Jasmine and I, and the other thing is you got to understand like me and Jim are not prone to shows of emotion. No, it takes a lot to get me choked up on a. I need show. the hammer, okay, <laughs> to fully enjoy the show. So I will, I, I will definitely go to the mat for the hammer. I need the hammer. I love the hammer. I All want right. the hammer. Uh, Jesse in Nashville says, um, "I love how the leftovers using." Wait a second. He I says just, all his exes live in Texas. No, I just scrolled up and reread the, the email. Oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, KP from Chi-Town says, so Kevin is Messiah now, huh? Resurrected three times, baptized, doubting yeah. apostle John Murphy poking in his chest wound. Do you think the holy garb in the purgatory level is representative of Kevin's future? You know, it's interesting to think he had four outfits. Yeah. Uh we know he did the international assassin, the cop. Let's assume that the first outfit, because he kind of showed up at the pond uh, wearing guilty reminish clothes, and we know for a fact that he was identifying with that mindset. Let's say the first time he went through wearing the guilty remnant clothes, is that a is that a nod to his future? The fact that he's going to uh, you know attain his priestly or shamanistic vestments. Well, I may entertain this idea more if I hadn't read. Uh, the interview with Lindelof, because he says basically there was no other option for him, right? 
like in that moment um, when he takes the international assassin uniform, he's kind of narrowed down his second occurrence to only the Mapleton PD uniform because he doesn't identify with any of the others. Hmm. Interesting. Um, we could ha- we could rehash our uh, our debate about authorial intent if you sure. Like. No, I don't want to do that, but <laughs> we could listen to our season one coverage of True Detective. If you want a lot of that. <laughs> Uh, Jordan K, did anyone else have a small flashback to Holy Wayne telling Kevin wish granted as Kevin looked around his house to find all his loved ones, minus his dad, while Nora proclaimed, you're home. I'm constantly amazed that the show is able to make me laugh out loud and cry in back-to-back scenes. Such a phenomenal show. Hope it gets renewed, but I'd be okay if this is the finale. I didn't get the flashback to Holy Wayne, but it makes sense. And it's actually in a more truer sense of the word that he's truly got a family now. Whereas he was going through the motions. But on the other hand, I'm also like, well, shit, I thought that was a genuine moment in season one. And it's only through the journey of season two that I realized that was a little of a false moment. So now I'm back to not knowing. Okay. But I'm still loving it. I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm not sure. All right, Jordan. Uh, there's an ambiguous leftoverish answer for you. Yep. Allison D has some problems with the episode and we're going to try to uh, talk her through it. Okay. I think we talked about a little bit this scattered, but she had so many points and I wasn't sure how many we get to number one. The men who tell John about the palm print match looked like federal park rangers. Why would they let him grab a gun and go confront Kevin in his home? I honestly, I don't have an answer to that. And because would... one of them was John Locke. <laughs> Didn't one of them look a lot like Terry O'Quinn? I actually thought Kevin, in some of his confrontations with John, looked a lot like Terry Quinn. Okay, like the way Maybe he was. And, and, and this bit, like, nose. there was a bit, nose. there was a yeah, that kind of patrician. The, the, yeah, I forget exactly like a pope you, nose. Sure. Uh, there, <laughs> I feel like there that, are many different types of pope nose. By the way, I feel like that um, there was this was very. I'm, I'm starting to feel everyone talking about Lost because I felt like John Kevin was very lock. Uh, uh, yeah. Shit. Who's that fucker? Jack. Jack. Jack and Locke. Um, anyway, why would Kevin go to... This is an easier one to answer. Why would Kevin go with John? Kevin knows how crazy John is. If I was Kevin, I'd be like, we're sitting here on this lawn to talk this out while everyone watches. <laughs> I think you're missing the fact that Kevin just came from the dead with special knowledge, revealed knowledge about this man's daughter. I felt like he thought it was almost a spiritual duty for him to... And he wasn't afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell this man the truth and be emotionally open to him and trust that this is what I need to do. Because that's what Virgil did to me. Yeah. I can get behind that. Uh, what is the point of the plastic explosives ruse? Why not just rush the bridge with the disappeared girls leading the charge? Also, if the bridge did blow, there's no way in. So why were the camp people cheering? I, I we, we talked, talked about, about why the camp people yep. cheering. I think the point was just to get the Rangers to back off and give them time to really... Ba- to, to ensure that everyone was going to charge when the guilty remnant, you know, sounded the bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, why didn't the police run out on the bridge to grab those girls and pull them out of danger? Because they're afraid of the plastic explosives. Yeah, man. You don't escalate a hostage situation. Yeah, Come on. Allison, you're, you're, you're answering a bit of your own questions by with, uh, with other questions. You would Very not Socratic be a good negotiator. You. Sam Jackson would have your head for that. She'd be a good Socrates, though. Uh why wouldn't Jarden be more prepared for a rush of people like that? There's a camp full of crazy people right outside the gate, and you have, like, four park rangers with sticks to hold them back. That's fair. The guilty remnant with no weapons can easily infiltrate the city, burn shit down, and take over the welcome center. So there's a couple things. They had guns. 
And there is a point where I think the Rangers had to make a decision whether they're going to start killing people or not. And you heard one yeah. of the Rangers specifically said, stand down, just let them through. Too many of them, yep. Because what the hell are you going to do? Kill a bunch of unarmed people? And like, even if you do, there were so many of them. How... I feel like that they thought that the checkpoint... I mean, think about how many relatively well-defended places, like a courthouse downtown Cincinnati. You walk through that, you've got three or four cops... Uh, they got metal detectors, and they they the whole system is set up that a whole bunch of people, presumably there because they broke the law, some violently so, are going to queue up and go through the process and not rush the gates. If the guilty remnant came and did that, maybe a couple of them would die because I feel like cops would have no problem shooting people. But uh, several hundred people are going to get in and take that courthouse over. Yeah, yeah. So it's just sheer numbers. They like it's. It's an uncomfortable but also comforting thought that so many of the laws and societal protections kind of depend on us being sheep and just yeah. going along with it. Like you see a, a guy – you see a, you see a police officer pulled over someone on the highway for probably going 75 and a 65. That's bullshit. Every time you get pulled over at a ticket, it's like that's bullshit. If we wanted to, we could all 50, 60 have just pull over and beat the shit out of that cop and leave him for dead in the ditch. But we don't. Sure. We yeah. don't. Even though we all emphasize with the, we all empathize with the driver and not the police officer in an instant, we don't because it's a rule of law and we respect that. Yeah, I think she's also making the point that like they should have seen this coming and been more prepared for it. I get it, but how like Aside from like having a drawbridge there, like what do you do? Yeah, having a right? sudden again, you are you going to slaughter innocent people? Yeah. So And you know, when this thing was conceived and built, it's gone from Two years ago, a national park where they were welcoming people in and presumably didn't have giant – to this thing where it's because – I don't know that the government moves that quickly. And it's like, you know, usually Mm -hmm. they're reactionary. Like you don't – you don't don't barricade and strengthen the cockpit doors until 9-11 happens. You don't – you don't put up a whole bunch of Jersey barriers in all your uh, embassies worldwide until someone drives a truck full of explosives through. Mm-hmm. So, like, it never happened. Therefore, the stuff that they put in when the park first got built was considered sufficient. So that's – I know right. they're not all satisfying, but certainly not enough for me to hate the episode. Yeah. Maybe we got you some perspective there, Allison. Phil from Jersey City. Uh, can't say I love the Leftovers finale. This is the single – Allison is kind of like, I loved Ooh. it, but I don't like some of these things. This is like okay. a, a legitimate negative take. I was really enjoying the season, especially the way the show was bold enough to teeter between the potentially supernatural and logical explanations for various plot and character mysteries. The first three quarters of this episode just felt forced and silly to me. Why did we need to have Mary suddenly wake up to confirm that Matt had not been violating his comatose wife? I don't feel like there's any value to this plot development. Also, knowing that Kevin is actually rising from the dead did not leave me more satisfied. I'm still excited for a third season, but a little worried about the show going too far down the magical miracle route. Maybe there's something I missed and you guys can make me a true believer. Okay, first point with Matt uh, and Mary waking up. So I think it does more than just say, hey, he didn't rape his wife. It also gives him a reason to go back into Jarden and be with his family again. Uh, I'm not entirely certain why he doesn't just take that opportunity right off the bat. Like when Mary is presented healthy and awake, and he goes, I still have stuff to do out here. Well, also, he can't get in even if he wanted to. There's a, still a problem the fact that he's stuck outside here with no wristband. Okay, maybe that's what he means. That's what I thought. Like Now I that he's done yeah, this like, shackles get, thing. He, I'm he's... so glad you're here, but you need to get the fuck right back in there because I don't want anything to happen to his baby. And if they take your wristband, 
Uh, they don't don't let him see that. Yeah, okay, yeah. maybe that's it. Uh, but yeah, it does serve as a, a reason for him to go back inside. Yeah, I don't know if we can make you a true believer because, first of all, I would just say, like, why do you think that Kevin came back from the dead three times? What is your actual evidence? Do you not think that it's possible for a man to be shot and not die? Sure. Or a man to drink some poison foam at the mouth and be buried for eight hours. Like if, if you go, if, you know, we, we want to talk authorial intent. The intent of those things was ambiguous. It could be that you are yeah. trained that someone gets shot in the gut, they die. Cause that's where you always see it. But I'm telling you freakish things happen that doesn't, that don't kill people. So, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think it like, you know where I came down on it. I think it's supernatural, but yeah. I, I mean, that's not necessarily, like it, it's kind of a uh, just the compounding of all of these small things. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of a, become it's a, the fact that Lindelof said there's a definite. I guess he had to say that that what you know there's a definite feeling in the writers' room about what's going on here, and I feel like knowing that I might I want to come down on the supernatural side. I don't know why because he doesn't say either way. Yeah, like, but when he says he thinks a lot about the afterlife and spirituality and how it's like to me that's the things he's interested in. So and when you know, I mean. He did this and lost. Come on, yeah. people. Yeah. And he wanted to make that show all about it, but he had to kind of trick the executives into greenlighting it. And, you know, it's uh, funny. I see I see some, like, virtual screaming matches on The Leftovers every once in a while between people saying, there are no supernatural things on the show, and people saying, <laughs> well, first of all, like, they say, it's like, well, what about the, the sudden departure? And, like, then they get in a screaming match of, like, just because you can't explain something doesn't mean it's supernatural, jackass that's how we got into the religion in the first place if people be like certainly that ball in the fire it comes and it goes don't know why we'll figure it out sometime like you start spinning myths to explain everything and that that's the way to darkness and the other people like well the literal definition of supernaturals things that cannot be explained in the natural world to me that's that's like arguing whether a zebra is a black horse with white stripes or a white horse with black stripes Mm -hmm. like who cares (laughs) who cares yeah, anyway. that's not the question that you should be looking to answer with this show, I guess. Uh, he also says, one other thing I've been wanting to know from last week but didn't hear anyone address. If Matt made scathing pamphlets about the departed, why did he make one about Meg's mother who died on October 13th? In case oh, anyone else was wondering that, the whole deal, the, what you're missing out on is Matt changed his mission after his, his spiritual Job experience, and now he wanted to get to uh, reach the guilty remnant, and he was doing that. Yeah by focusing on the people inside it and trying to understand why they're there. And that's, and in he, his, his, uh, his shot hit the mark, mm-hmm. uh, really fucked up Meg. Sean M wanted to know, uh, or just wanted to let us know that it's not just Spotify people joining in the fun. He's actually got a Google play playlist of the music from the leftovers, uh, that he's also updated with music from the finale. So I'm going to share that link in the show notes this week as well. Uh, Barry C from the UK says officially the single best season of TV I've ever seen knocking Breaking Bad season four off its podium. There you go. I agree. I agree. I I've said it I'm, once and for all. I, I agree. I'm not going. I mean, I don't, how will I feel in three to four to five years? So yeah. that's my gut feeling. But also, yeah. you know, it's the greatest comeback I've ever seen in my 40 years of watching football. So, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that I would ever have even had this conversation, you know? Like with how much I like Breaking Bad. Oh, but come on. That's like saying your 16-year-old self can't imagine you'd see a movie greater than Empire Strikes Back. 
You know, like but I, I'm not 16. I know, but I'm I don't like, have no experience with this I, stuff. I will say, I'll, I'll make a statement. I don't think it's bold. I bet I live another 40 years on this planet at least, and I bet I will see something that I connect with more than the season of the leftovers. Like I just choose not to believe my life has peaked. Okay, maybe <laughs> I'm maybe. open to greater experiences. Um, I didn't say it's the best thing I will have ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but said you it's said the best you, were su- you were surprised that you didn't. I, I my implication, I guess, is that you never thought anything would be better than Breaking Bad. I guess I wouldn't think like a season two of a show that was good but not amazing. That's true. It took Breaking Bad. It's like three four seasons to get to its highest gear why would and it couldn't have done it without the three seasons before it so like man yeah. i don't know yeah you're right i can't say like i'll never see anything better sure but um with a show as bleak as the leftovers he continues it can take certain liberties where it has a brief moment of joy when matt and his wife were reunited i got a huge lump in my throat many other shows that have let us have just that one breadcrumb but when we saw all the extended garvey family together it was a truly joyful moment Reminds me of the moment when Bubbles finally is invited upstairs to have dinner with his sister in The Wire. Gets me every time. Uh, and yes, that was a Wire spoiler. That's a shot over all your all's bows. Like, I, I've been, I've up to now, I've avoided the, the heavy Wire references and spoilers because I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's been too long. <laughs> don't worry, there are so many characters you will have forgotten. Yeah, you're not going to remember who the fuck there. Bubbles is by the time you watch it. And, but yep. I'm just saying, like, you know, next I'm going to spoil the Bunk and McNulty sex scene. <laughs> That's the best one, in my opinion. Yep, and it gets worse from there, so you better start watching. Uh, I love the fact, and they'll be like, well, you better start doing a podcast about it. And then I'll be like, fuck you very much. You've got me. Uh, I love the fact that essentially... Fuck you, Erica. <laughs> and not in the respectful Lindelof... No, uh, no. Marty way, either. In the backed into a corner kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that essentially all mysteries are answered and all loose ends are tied. Instead of leaving a cliffhanger, all the best stand-up comedians write a new hour special every year and kill their old material because it forces them to be better. In my opinion, the same happened with The Leftovers. No cliffhangers means the possibilities are endless for season three as long as HBO sees the sense and greenlights it. I agree. I want every season to go down like this. Yeah. they. they I, I liked his philosophy um, that he described and, and the writers in general on kind of wanting to have this arc that the the season hangs on and yep. wrap it up. Um, they said that, you know, Evie's disappearance and the girl's disappearance was uh, that kind of thing that they hung the whole season on. But, you know, other stuff happens. Sure. Uh, Anthony B says, wow, I've never teared up during a TV show before, but the end scene with John and Kevin in the hospital broke my crybaby virginity. All right. Yeah. This show is awesome. By the end of it, I was smiling ear to ear when the whole family was back together, despite the fact the town looks like an apocalyptic, apocalyptic music festival. So essentially, like um, the Gathering of the Juggalos. Yeah. Yeah. With rave music instead of bad pseudo metal. <laughs> rap, rap metal. I think the Juggalo family is, is, is a big enough tent to embrace rave music. How dare you? You think so? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know anything about him. No, I've seen the American Juggalo documentary. It's a hoot. I have too. I would, I horrifying. would love to go to the gathering. I will never. If I was 10 go years younger and had, had no dependents, I would probably go just from an okay. anthropology standpoint. Sure. The only thing I'm super confused about is how Tom ended up uh, leaving Meg's side. Do you think it was because they had that exchange about family being everything? Yeah. I feel like him crossing the bridge and seeing Nora and Lily and knowing he can make a difference right there in that moment 
snapped whatever his problem was. I think so. I could be wrong. I don't think he's going back to this the could be a This could be a false uh, epiphany, kind of like Kevin had at the end of last season, in which case I welcome the more Tommy stuff, because Tommy's yeah, yeah. another underserved character. There's something about watching a show when you know that so many other fans are watching it and experiencing it uh, and having getting as much pleasure from it as you are. Uh, that even heightens those moments while you're watching in isolation, right? Yeah. What if like, like I know that when these beats are hitting, there are a million other people sitting on their couches doing like the getting misty eyed and doing the same thing I'm doing, cheering and what? What if this show was as big as Game of Thrones? Oh, do you man. think this would have been like the biggest number of people calling in the work, or do you think any work would be done like on Mondays? Like people just come in and ha- hold a therapy session? Probably, yeah. I mean. Uh, maybe maybe like, it's I'm good picturing for, like a good comic for worldwide with... pro- productivity. <laughs> and, this show is and, huge, and yeah, gross domestic productivity that we don't don't, don't all watch this at the same time. This needs to be slowly yeah. discovered and diffused. You got to let go slowly, <laughs> like a spring. It's weird because that's the same kind of camaraderie I felt during Lost, right? And I think mm. I for some reason I'm able to identify in that way with Lindelof's material. I don't know. Uh, moving on to Jeremy C. When where is my mind plays during John and Kevin's conversation in the clinic? I had a feeling that John was seeing ghost Kevin, like ghost, like Kevin saw ghost Patty. Not possible, right? Hmm. So I, I started, I started so. to be like dismissal, but we don't know that Kevin is still alive. I mean, like, what if, if Kevin? You say he what if Kevin is and... on? Pat on John the same way Patty was on Kevin and John and and Kevin went back to the house and this is all just happening in like in a spiritual or imaginary place. So the problem I think with that is POV, right? Because we never saw POV of Patty after she was dead. We do see POV of Kevin after him and John part. Yeah. So I, I would feel a little betrayed by the POV there. I don't but, know. I mean, it depends on how they do it. But I, I initially was like, I wasn't going to read this. I mean, that's ridiculous. But then I thought, wait a second. Wow. Okay. I can't. I, I mean, it's possible. I mean, you'd also have to. And anytime I, how do you explain the smiles from his family when he opens his door in the kitchen? Like because those are his family's not really there. Like it's kind of impossible. Wait. So that we're all seeing a sitting... ghost hallucinating his own family? Yeah. Okay. This is what's going through John's mind as he's dying. John or Kevin's mind? I'm sorry, Kevin. And then we also, the the one intersection is where John and him have an honest conversation. But, no. Okay. No, it it doesn't line up for me. I don't think it's, it's, it's not not possible. And I'm not even saying I'd be angry if it happened. Okay. But, you know, we'll see. Doug from Astoria, Queens. Uh, oh, this is interesting uh, and very cool. So thanks for mentioning the Renew the Cast, the Leftovers Guilty Remnant meetup plans in last week's podcast. Once you pondered, do you think it's dumb? I knew it's something I had to do. Uh, he also included a picture of him and the rest. He he showed up as a Guilty Remnant member, uh, cosplaying and slash protesting HBO. Uh, and yeah, it's very that. cool. It said, uh, however, I probably shouldn't have waited until Sunday to get pants as these thermal long johns from the dollar store were the only option. <laughs> I got to say, that's that's Doctor Who level courage to show up in the nut huggers. No, they couldn't on, on like December. TJ Maxx isn't going to sell you anything, man. Can you get a T? Is there a TJ, TJ Maxx downtown? Oh, shit. New York? Yeah. Shit, really? Yeah. I've been to one. Sure. OK, well, there you go. You got firsthand knowledge. 
Glenn from Texas. As a Christian, I really appreciate you guys not bagging on us believers as well. I'm in no means a holy roller, but I am a God-fearing individual, and I hate it when I listen to other podcasts, and they constantly crap on religion just because it's not what they believe. So thank you, guys. I've I've done that in the past. I don't know we crap on I think on I've religion. come to a more mature view on oh, yeah. religion. Plus it but yeah, I was very resentful and shit all over religion for a long time. It also doesn't hurt that like I was the fundiest of fundamentalists not sure. even a decade ago and so like it's hard for me to like oh what a bunch of fucking idiots like i'm just condemning myself and like that's I feel true like yeah the best way to approach this gulf between atheism and christians is i feel like these christians are a few or any religious person is a few personal revelations and life experiences away from realizing they're an atheist and i feel like Christians probably the reasonable ones stare across at us and be like, "You're a few life experiences and revelations away sure. from joining us," and that's fine <laughs> because it's nothing I can do to change your mind, and nothing you can do to change your mind. You got to let God or science play the dice. So, yeah, mutual I feel respect, like there's, Glenn. There are a couple of different approaches to trying to help people along that path. Maybe like one is emotional and one is. But all you can do uh, is engaging a, your you brain and one is engaging along your heart. A path are already taken. You can't yeah. make them yeah. walk a path. Uh, my only problem with this episode is being a Texan. There's no way in hell a Texas town would have let that cult and all those damn hippies in their town without a fight. You can't tell me <laughs> that over 9,000 people in the town, there aren't at least 15,000 guns in their homes. That's what we said about Isaac. Like, no way. Yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah, no. It's, that's probably <laughs> a true statement. Sure. Although I don't know, maybe we found you know maybe when they made it a state uh, national park. As far as I know, you're not allowed guns inside a national park. Oh, they took away all of the guns. John's except got for John one because, because John can do whatever the fuck he he's wants. The he's king the, of miracles, the Batman of miracle, but <laughs> uh-huh. miracle man. Uh, thanks for writing in, Glenn. Andy S said after watching for that, I couldn't help but see the parallels uh, more deeply into the Kevin Jesus references. Every time he died, drowning, poison, and shot, it was at night, refer- referencing the three nights Jesus spent in the tomb. So I guess there's the three – it's not exactly three deaths, okay. but three nights spent dead uh-huh. is certainly a possibility. I think the third death slash emergence for Kevin was symbolic of the resurrection because he finally has become the man he wants to be, a man of family. He fought so hard and longed to be there for his family, and he kept fucking things up. So him finally yep. being with his family in what we can presume as a stable mindset is him becoming the man he is supposed to be. Also, just yeah. a quick side note, could Kevin forgiving John at the end of the finale be like the story of Jesus forgiving Peter for denying him Jesus' resurrection from John 21? I think there are strong hmm. parallels. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, there's the Doubting Thomas real strong parallel. And there is the Peter. But I've, I felt like that he's much of more of a doubting, John, a doubting Thomas than a denying Peter. I mean, he's been denying all along, right? Like that's kind of his thing—is denying no miracles and miracles, yeah, I guess that that's sort of true. thing. Not not necessarily like directly to Kevin, but yeah. I mean, the denial is certainly there. Yeah, but no, I love how the whole the whole Babylonian thing came. You know, the prediction of yeah. doom—it come coming true. The town mm-hmm. being destroyed after the water flooding drained, in. It's, yep. Yeah, it's pretty, the, the reverse awesome. Babylon, as we called it. I think. Yeah. Um. Then uh, Tommy grabbing Nora on the bridge and giving her shelter after she's robbed of her baby seemed like a good Samaritan reference. Yeah, maybe. Uh, although Samaritans are strangers, right? Yeah, good, good Samaritan a, is a stranger lesson. Not only that, but like I guess the Samaritans and Jews hated each other. 
Oh, so it's yeah. more of like not just just helping out a stranger. It's helping out a stranger that you'd be predisposed to not help out. And I guess depending on how you feel about stepmoms and <laughs> uh, no, younger, cuter versions of your past self, uh, maybe maybe there's some of that. But no, I don't feel like he's inclined to hate Nora. Uh huh. But he is inclined to. Uh, the, the thing I'm really fascinated in is the fact that that is Holy Wayne's baby. Sure. That he is saving. Where do they go with that? Because they didn't really do much of anything with Lily this time. Except and he has to know that, too. Maybe that's what really, maybe that's what called him off the path. The fact that, like, oh, shit. Like, this has got to mean something. Could be. A, a, a different, a, 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 this interesting way to go. Uh, how are we leaving this, Jim? Are we going to come back next week for a wrap-up? I don't feel like there's a lot to talk about. With I don't either. Like, I'm sure we'll get emails and stuff, and some of them might be interesting, but, like, I... I don't feel the need to like, I don't feel like there's enough unexplained things that I need to get a handle on. And I don't really am interested in a lot of theories about what's going to happen next. And I don't really want to interested in a lot of theories about how to explain those holes because I feel like they will be explained. Yeah. I think the ones that I really need to be explained, uh, like I said, are all just the family ones and everything else I leave to vagaries of, the plot like they don't need to tell me every single i know that virgil hurt john yeah do i need to know anything else sure. no that's motivation enough for his actions right uh I, I i don't i don't know i don't care to talk about next season because i don't feel like we know anything yeah about next season i mean i know it's sad to say goodbye to the leftovers and i i kind of feel the pressure from it just that standpoint like i don't i'm not ready to be done with this show but i don't know how much more use we could be you know if they don't renew it maybe we should do one final one Hmm. just to sum up the series but i'd if they renew it i don't see any sense in talking about like yeah here's what we need to happen if they renew it if they if if they renew it we'll be back before the next season with a preview podcast we're all primed up if they don't renew it within a week or two of the announcement, we will do a podcast that kind of wraps up the series and we'll, I think that's fair. We'll spread out through social media and say like HBO has done the unthinkable. They pulled the plug. Uh, let's, let's do a roundup of all the unanswered questions. Let's theorize Let's speculate. Let's do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's do, let's, I think that's a good way to leave it. Yeah. So check that out. I mean, it'll be sometime in January if they don't. And again, if the perfect way to stay in touch is the subscribe to bald move on Facebook and Twitter, because all of our releases go through there. So you'll know, you'll hear about it. Yeah. Except for unless Zuckerberg decides that even though (laughs) you signed up and like bald move, you don't really want to see every one of our updates because that's a goddamn struggle. Uh, that's okay, it. Leftovers, cool. I mean, I'll talk with you about it. Leftovers at baldmove.com. Get on our forums, another great go. way. Forums.baldmove.com. If you're not ready for it to be over, we got a whole forum dedicated to the leftovers. Uh, and it's got a lot of smart people talking a lot of smart stuff about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of them. So, uh, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. I guess that was a little big headed. I'm one of the guys. <laughs> this guy, I'm not saying I'm the particularly smart uh, one. Although okay. I, think I'm, I think I am the smart one now. I think the, the the last time the worms <laughs> turned, I ended up being somehow being a smart guy. Okay. Uh, by by Tom from Volkswagen's estima- estimation. All right, that's a lot of uh, inside references. Forums.baldmove.com. We will see you either before next season or with heavy hearts that we know we're not going to get anymore. Yeah. Uh, Netflix, step up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Snatch this. Uh, Hulu. There, there's still yeah, Hulu. or Amazon. Somebody. Somebody. Yep. How much? How much fucking can I sign up for a Hulu Double Plus Good version to get this thing done? <laughs> if if it comes you to have that, to, yeah. 
but no, we've had a lot of fun. Yep. Obviously, it's been great, uh, you know, seeing the show grow. And, and uh, even though it wasn't growing from audience, it seemed like internet interest and critics, like it was getting a lot of dap and been rewarding. It's been great having this conversation with all you guys and gals for the past 10 weeks. Yeah. So we will see you sometime in the future. See you on the other side. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>